And now for a segment called Just Something I've Noticed, brought to you by our friends at Motel 6. Just something I've noticed, bargain hunting is back. I mean, bargain hunting's always been around. We always love a great deal. But man, everywhere you look, people are bargain hunting. You know, there's so many great ways to find great deals. Hey, I have a great find in your bargain hunting journey. Book online at motel6.com. Use the code CPREDEYE to get 15% off your stay at Motel 6 or Studio 6. With almost 1,500 locations across the country, there's almost always a Motel 6 or Studio 6 nearby. And truck parking is available at most locations. Enjoy a clean, comfortable room at a price that's a real bargain when you use the code CPREDEYE. That's the letters CP Red Eye, all one word, for 15% off your stay at motel6.com. That is a bargain. That's just something I've noticed. Brought to you by Motel 6. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. This is Red Eye Radio. Hello and welcome. He is Gary McNamara. I'm Eric Harley. As we begin a Friday, Gary, good morning. So yeah, to continue our conversation from the pre-show meeting, I'm totally in favor now of a two-day work week. <laughs> you like that, huh? Yeah, no, like... I'm, I'm totally on board. I'm, I'm thinking about starting a group, but I can't do the forward party. So I was going to do the lateral party, and I thought, no, that's the Republicans. Uh, so the backwards party, uh, that's the Democrats. I don't know. I haven't decided on a name yet, but I'll find one. And we're going to push for two-day work weeks. Okay. So just so how about the two-day party? Uh, I like that. No, because that implies that you're going to have a party and it's only going to be for two days. <laughs> All right, five-day party then. Five-day the party. For the other seven days of the week. It's more yeah. like it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, what a day yesterday. Mm-hmm. I mean, just, uh, I don't I don't know what to say, but uh, John Kirby, he, he just, he spit on his entire military career yeah. yesterday. Yeah. It was uh, he it just was really disgraceful. I mean, just absolutely disgraceful on Afghanistan. If you don't know the story, uh, the White House came out with their analysis mm. of Afghanistan, and it was all it was all Trump's fault. It was Trump's fault. They had to the reporters the, they couldn't get the reporters behind it. First no. off, the report, and we'll get the audio of the, the one reporter that was furious. He said, "I speak for everybody here." You know, you did this on a holiday weekend. Yeah. The president's already gone. Uh, the, the the president's out of here. This is 12 pages. This is it. You know, and, and you throw this at us right before we come into the room. Yeah. Where nobody can analyze it. And you could tell that they were ticked off. But then the gaslighting, if you... You want gaslighting? Here, here's, here's gaslighting. Here's Biden's spokesperson... Who I'm telling you, his he spit on his military service. He really did, Eric. I mean, I just I know you said you were watching it live and you were just livid. Just it was frustrating as, to, and 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 the defiant nature yep. of how he was delivering such a bogus message yeah. and just lying through his teeth. And and no nobody bought it. And and l- listen to this here. I mean, this this is one of the audio cuts that just 
it's mind-boggling. You hear it, you just say, everybody knows what happens and knows the chaos over yeah. there. Yeah. Here's, here's John Kirby. Here we go. And so for all this talk of chaos, I just didn't see it. Not from my perch. At one point during the evacuation, there was an aircraft taking off full of people, Americans and Afghans alike, every 48 minutes. We know. That's not what we're talking about. They're going back to that again. Right. From his perch, he didn't see any chaos. Mm -hmm. Well, then what the hell kind of a perch? You ought to be... What were you looking at? Right. Then, then you ought to be fired. Yep. Because your perch, whatever perch you were on, sucked. But you're lying to the American public. It, it, this That's is what such you're a doing. slap in the face to the families of the fallen, to the Americans that were left behind, to the peace-loving Afghan people, to our allies... To everyone who had to suffer through that, I didn't see any chaos. And, and the way in his tone, yep. listen to him, listen to him. You must be crazy if you're calling that chaotic. Yeah. Something is wrong with you. I, I never, I, I just, you just don't think they can top the gaslighting. And then yesterday they topped the gaslighting. Oh, it was something unbelievable. That something that everybody is no knows is true. Yeah. That there was massive chaos that was that was going on there. And he actually will sit up there with his military experience that he had and lie about what happened. And every, here's the thing. Again, we go back to this. You know, Corrine Jean-Pierre. She didn't, you know, she's not a military person, so she can lie whenever she wants. John Kirby, admiral, mm -hmm. former admiral. Think mm -hmm. about that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely gaslighted the America. Everybody knows that he was lying. He knows he's lying. The American public knows he's lying. He knows that the American public is lying. And still, as an ex-military officer, he gaslights to this extent. He just spit on the graves of 13 American soldiers. He spit on the grave of American soldiers. It was reprehensible. And everybody knew it. I want to let me play this audio cut from James mm -hmm. Rosen yesterday. Here we go cuz this was also true. The depiction of the commander in chief that you present or this commander in chief is of uh, a figure almost helpless and, and shaped and buffeted by uh, individuals and forces uh, and entities that are beyond his control when he had every option to increase the troop size there during his eight months in office. He had every option to uh, intensify attacks on the 5,000 Taliban fighters and so on. So uh, well, I, I just don't understand why you're willing to depict uh, your boss, the commander-in-chief, as so helpless in this instance. Yeah. Bam. Right. And then to sit there and say, you know, the, the, the basic uh, crux of the entire thing was, well, we couldn't do anything because we were t our hands were tied by the uh, Trump agreement uh -huh. uh, with the the Taliban. No, it wasn't. No, that but that I mean that was the biggest gaslighting point because as we know, the Taliban wasn't living up to their terms of was, the deal to begin with. There was no agreement. Give me a break. There was no agreement at that time. It was complete chaos. I didn't see right. it from my perch. I don't know what the hell you were looking at. No, but he means from the very beginning. They couldn't I, have done I anything. Understand, right, I understand. Right, well, right. that's, again, them going back and, and using every excuse in the book. Yeah. Look, we had a plane going out, uh, a, a, a full plane going out every 48 minutes. Yeah. We blah, 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 and our hands were tied. This is the chaos.
that is in the White House. Of course, the withdrawal from Afghanistan under this commander-in-chief was going to be chaos. There's no other way it was going to happen. This is this is one. Uh, I will get to this later on here because we got we got so much, but it's one where it says uh, it doesn't seem to address the seven billion in military hardware and technology that was left in Afghanistan for the Taliban. Does Biden take responsibility for leaving all of some of that? Kirby, you know who's responsible for that equipment? The Afghans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, my God, I mean, it just you couldn't. I couldn't believe that he was attempting to. When I finally saw, because I didn't see it live. When I finally saw it, I was like. I can't believe he's actually attempting to sell this. Well, you know, this is part of the entire thing. Part of the entire botched exit was Biden working with the then president of Afghanistan, wanted him to help him tell the lie that everything is going to be fine. The Taliban weren't going to move in. And then when the Afghan government, including the president of Afghanistan at the time, left the country, then everything is on them. Well, we can blame them for being the bad guy. Well, then, are you, you're trying to say we had no role. You're trying to say we had no responsibility for our allies and their troops that were there. What's next? Hey, they didn't have to be there. Our allies didn't have to be there. We're not responsible for them. We were leading the forces, and our commander-in-chief was lying every step of the way. There's no chance that the Taliban is going to take over. And then days after the botched exit, he sits down and in the interview said, well, of course, the Taliban was always going to take over. Yeah, and, and, you know, the the thing, I mean, there was so much, the, uh, the social media went wild on this yesterday, but when you, when you think about the fact that, yeah, so Trump was responsible for you lying about what the military generals told you. Mm-hmm. So did Trump, so is Trump still uh, have power over Biden? Mm. Did Trump have power over Biden to make him lie about what the generals told him? Mm. I mean, the gaslighting here was just unbelievable. And we'll, yeah. have, we'll have more audio so you can you can judge for yourself. Yeah. But, I mean, Kirby saying that, that he just didn't see the chaos. Mm-hmm. I mean, my God, I mean, I, I've just, I haven't, that that will go down to me as one of the worst White House moments ever. Yeah, it's a, it is a, it's a flat out lie, but it's yeah. more than that. It's the defiance, the arrogance, the gaslighting, and all that is involved in making you believe that you're a fool if you thought that was chaos. We, we now have 13 more Gold Star families. Mr. Kirby, why don't you call them tomorrow and tell them that it was not chaos and you didn't see a thing. Tell them that. Get them on the phone and tell them that. Better yet, go to their doors and tell them that. Because that's what they're saying. Biden was completely powerless in all of this and did a great job. And now, I'll get the statement where he said, and now many Afghans are living better lives. Yes, yeah. What the hell? I mean, it's just, I'm, no, I'm no, telling you, he, these people no, don't give a damn about anybody. I saw that live. It's the closest I've come to destroying a TV in a long time. That was so foolish for him to say, so stupid for him to say, but it was one after the other. I'm telling you, I don't think I've ever seen 
gas, and I've seen a lot. I don't think I've ever seen gaslighting like this. Absolute lies that everybody knows defies reality. Because everybody knows what happened. Everybody knows what happens. We saw it. Mm-hmm. We know the chaos. No, there was no chaos. I don't know what you're talking about. What the hell? What's going on? We we did a great job. Right. You know, it's it's insane. We had contractors that went back over there to help with the exit because they knew there wasn't enough. They had to go over and coordinate to help get Americans out of there. And they had to do this really without any assistance of the the administration Mm -hmm. and risk their lives to do that. And then liars like Biden and Kirby can stand back and say, oh, we did a great job patting themselves on the back. There was no chaos. You're a fool if you think there was chaos. That's insane. You talk about, you know, what happened there to me. The, the Kirby and the betrayal of of the honor of the military and what he's supposed to have honor. And he spits on the graves of 13 dead soldiers because of the screw-up in his administration. You know, Kirby, you can get another job doing something else. You don't need to have a job where you're paid to spit on the graves of American soldiers. And lie about what happened. It's 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 what he chooses to, to do. do. Yep. He calls this public service. Yep. Disgusting. Just despicable. Eight six six ninety red eye. Cold weather takes a toll on trucks. As warmer weather rolls in, it's time to assess the impact winter has had on your vehicle before you find yourself stranded roadside this spring. If you're experiencing sluggish cranking. Start your spring maintenance routine by having your electrical system tested by a professional technician. Your batteries, alternator, and starter have been working overtime to keep up with cold starts and thick oil during winter. Continuing to crank a vehicle with low voltage will lead to more damage and downtime later on. Big rigs are big investments. Take care of yours now to help avoid downtime later and keep rolling through to next winter. This report is brought to you by Shell Rotella. Shell Rotella, with advanced synthetic technology, is designed to help keep your rig running with more mileage and less maintenance. We'll be right back with more Red Eye Radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. And now for a segment called Just Something I've Noticed, brought to you by our friends at Motel 6. Just Something I've Noticed. We don't give enough credit to signs, and we really should. That sign over there tells you great French fries. That sign over there tells you this is your exit. And look at that legendary sign. It's the Motel 6 sign. It tells you a great night's rest at a great price. Book online at motel6.com and use the code CPREDEYE to get 15% off your stay at Motel 6 or Studio 6. With almost 1,500 locations across the country, there's almost always a Motel 6 or Studio 6 nearby. Look for the signs. And truck parking is available at most locations. Enjoy a clean, comfortable room at a great price when you use the code CPREDEYE. That's the letter CPREDEYE, all one word, for 15% off your stay at Motel6.com. That's a great deal. And that's just something I've noticed. Brought to you by Motel 6. 
What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. In Trot Eye Radio, he's Eric Carney, and I'm Gary McNamara, 86690 uh, Red Eye. Uh, the uh, the press corps was not happy from the very beginning. No. Uh, I want to play this uh, audio. I don't know who the, the gentleman was. In the, it was a gentleman in the first row. I didn't recognize him uh, who asked uh, uh, this question right off the bat to uh, John Kirby yesterday. So, John, thank you for doing this, but I think I speak on behalf of my colleagues in this room, and we want the record to reflect that this was sent to us about 10 minutes before the briefing began, with little notice, and it's the very definition of a modern major holiday news dump. Releasing this uh, at the beginning of the high holidays, and after months of requests from Republicans and the broader public. Um, So why today? And is this all we get? And is this a response to the studies that were done by the agencies? Or is this considered a summary? There you go. You can tell they weren't they they weren't pleased uh, at all with it. Um, I want to get uh, there was another audio cut that I wanted to get here. Um, uh, there's uh, there's 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 so much here. Uh, I did play the one where he talked about that the Afghans are responsible, right, for the equipment that I played. Uh, no, I don't think no, I we haven't played that. Oh, yet. Okay, let me play that one then. Okay, here we go. Uh, this is on the the uh, the equipment. This is mind-boggling. In looking through this, it doesn't seem to address the seven billion dollars in military hardware and technology that was left in Afghanistan for the Taliban. You know, the president took office in January. The withdrawal happened in, in August. Does the president take responsibility for for leaving all or some of that? You know who's responsible for that equipment? The Afghans. Uh, yeah, I, I wish. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I'm laughing because I wish everybody could see. I looked up from my computer after playing the audio cut, and the the look Eric was giving me was just like, "Well, it's it here's was, here's the defiance once again." And and what you just heard him say is, "That's their problem." Yeah. Afghan I, I, fell. The uh, Af- Afghanistan fell. And the Afghan government fell. To Taliban, well, that's their problem. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I just, I just terrorism super state. Well, that's their problem. Yeah, I, that's I, exactly what I, I know. Over I know. And over that's, again. It's just, that was the attitude. Well, I'm that's speechless. Their problem. You, why don't you talk? Because I'm, I'm speechless on this. I don't even know that this is. I'm, I'm never speechless, but I'm close to being speechless on this because it's so reprehensible. Well, it's it's, uh, it, it's yeah. exactly what you get, and it's we said it. And and if you have any question, that defiance is all the way through to the core of this current administration. John Kirby laying it out. That's their problem. K 
chaos. I didn't see any chaos. Not from my perch. Not sure where you were perching. But you need glasses. This is, it's also political ignorance. Or is it? How many people care? How many people actually care? How many people, if you look at it now, the polls changed. Remember, yeah, when we did. came out of Afghanistan, people started to go, oh, well, yeah, um, maybe we should have left some troops in there. And then it changed to, oh, yeah, well, yeah, we, we're probably going to have to go back at some point. Which you can't now. No. It is a terrorism super state. You're not going to win that. That is a winless effort. You're not going to put boots on the ground now. We had a vantage point on Intel that gave us a great, great deal of leverage in that region and kept the peace. And the Taliban knew you don't move in. Well, when Joe Biden's president, just watch the clock because it's only a matter of time before he bungles it. Never, ever underestimate the ability of Joe Biden to F things up. Everything. All of it. We have more audio on this uh, coming up, and in fact, the full audio of something that we played when you were when uh, you were out last yeah. week. Yeah. So j- just to just to give the other side of this particular issue, all coming up. Eight six six ninety red eye. Listening to Red Eye Radio from the Uniden America Studios. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carlin. I'm Gary McNamara. Eight six six ninety Red Eye. I think the House said they're going to do more investigation on this after uh, all of this. Uh, Mike Pompeo said the White House on Thursday uh, released its review of of uh, uh, President Biden's fumbled 2021 withdrawal from Afghanistan. Uh, While Trump's indictment continues to dominate the headline, the 12-page outline called the overall decision to end the 20-year war the right thing to do, but declined to acknowledge any mistakes uh, made by Biden while instead repeatedly criticizing the uh, Trump uh, uh, administration. Uh, He said, quote, I am outraged by the fact that 13 Americans that were killed there didn't have to happen. And President Biden made the political decision to announce the date of withdrawal, to publicize it, and then to withdraw in spite of the fact that the military clearly told them that that was the likely outcome. I don't know what they're talking about, he said. 
And like I said, it's, uh, you know, I, I look at this and, and you know, a Kirby, Rear Admiral, 30 years in the Navy. Mm-hmm. 30 years in the Navy, and he just he just said, to hell with my service. Uh, I am... To hell with the service of others. To hell with the service... Yeah, to hell with the service of others. He just... He, he gaslighted on this, spit on the graves of the soldiers that were killed and wounded over there in this complete debacle that Biden lied for. He sold his military soul yesterday for Biden. Yeah. Yeah. You're throwing yourself under the Biden bus. For what? How in the world do you do that and sleep at night? Maybe he doesn't sleep. He said, this was entirely predictable. We we didn't uh, constrain them at all. The Biden administration... (laughs) has demonstrated their willingness to break up the good plans that our administration had, pointing to Biden's continued destruction of the Trump's border, whatever. But uh, on that, and you know, you can look at that and say, yeah, you're looking at it more general. I want to stick to just Afghanistan here. And I want to play it one more time here. Does this, this here what uh, uh, Biden spokesperson John Kirby said yesterday on the Afghanistan withdrawal after they came out with the White House analysis of it, and basically the White House analysis, if you just tuned in, it was Trump's fault. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah. here he is when, you know, they're talking about, the reporters talking about the chaos, and here's what Kirby actually had the gall to say. And so for all this talk of chaos, I just didn't see it. Not from my perch. And I don't want to go into the restaurant where he talks about, because we rescued people. Yeah. He's trying to say, we rescued, but the other part didn't exist because we rescued people. And and as, as a counterpoint, I want to play, we'd played a... Uh, a, when before you had left, we had played a a short segment of this, but I want to play the longer segment of this. Uh, uh, this sort of relates to what you said uh, earlier. This is the House Foreign Affairs Committee mm. a few weeks back uh, in March, receiving testimony from retired Lieutenant Colonel David Scott Mann, founder of Task Force Pineapple, one of their volunteer ex-military groups that went over there to get our allies, the allies who had defended uh, the United States, and I think it's important to hear what he had to say in response to the administration saying, chaos? What chaos? call Ranking Member Meeks, committee members, thank you for this opportunity to testify before you today. I'm here to relive August 2021 with all of you, not as a Democrat or as a Republican, but as an American combat veteran that's going to do my best to represent over 800,000 Afghanistan war veterans and their families, but with my own point of view. I'm a Green Beret and a retired lieutenant colonel with nearly 23 years in service and three combat tours in Afghanistan. I'd like to start with a question. What does an American promise mean today? There's a promise in the military that is both explicit and implicit. I have your back. We were trained that way. It's, it's in our blood. But in August 2021, the leaders who held us to that standard went silent while our Afghan allies were left behind. The U.S. government may not have had the backs of our Afghan allies, but our veterans did. For as long as we've been a nation, our veterans have been a moral compass for doing the right thing, especially in hard times. As we try to figure out where to go from here, I suspect we're going to need that moral compass more than ever. You won't find many veterans sitting out here today who relish being involved in this Afghan evacuation. We paid our dues, and we tried to move on with our lives. I know 
jumping back into the quagmire of Afghanistan was certainly not part of my military retirement plan. But like thousands of other veterans across the country watching Kabul collapse on August 15, 2021, I received a phone call from a friend that absolutely crushed me. I'm not afraid to die, he said to me. I just don't want to die alone. Those were the words that dragged me back into the Afghanistan conflict. His name was Sergeant First Class Nezamuddin Nizami, but I just called him Nizam. His father was a Mujahideen fighter who was killed by the Soviets when he was four months old. He had no money, no family, no hope. Yet somehow he became an Afghan commando, one of the elite warriors who were trained by U.S. Special Operations to do really 95% of the fighting in the country. Green Berets, including me, who worked with Nizam, we loved him like a brother. He volunteered for every mission every day. He was family. But despite numerous inquiries to the State Department, Congress, and even Army Special Operations Headquarters about his SIV status, Kabul was falling and no one was coming to help him. This was a guy who was shot through the face protecting U.S. Green Berets from a Taliban ambush. And for me, he was the same guy that even while he was being hunted and texted by the Taliban would call me to ask how my kids were doing. Over the next few weeks, I assembled a small team of volunteers, mostly veterans from across the country that we called Task Force Pineapple to guide Nizam and hundreds more to safety. We didn't have any resources or battlefield access or time, but we had something that a lot of people didn't, relationships and trust. We used cell phones, knowledge of the terrain, and an encrypted chat room to guide at-risk commandos and their families at night navigating through that suffocating crowd through an open sewage canal and then into position to link up with known NATO service members like Aiden who were standing watch near a four-foot hole in the perimeter fence. Pineapple wasn't the only group. There were hundreds of ad hoc volunteer groups doing similar work, many of them sitting out here today. From breakfast tables to basements across the world, Jane, a gold star wife who lost her husband, Chris, in Afghanistan. Will, a double amputee, fighting to save the interpreter who saved his life on the battlefield. And dozens, even hundreds more. We helped hundreds of allies, but thousands were left behind, and at great cost to this vulnerable veteran population who had already given so much. My buddy, Steve, who was racked with post-traumatic stress and a traumatic brain injury from an IED, screamed into his pillow and pounded his bed because his children were in the next room. As his former interpreter was detained at a Taliban checkpoint and was pleading over the phone, Steve, they are beating my wife. My children are watching this for God's sakes. What should I do? Can I fight them? Why is this happening? Jay, a former Navy SEAL in Pineapple, received a text on signal from his Afghan partner. My daughter has been trampled, sir. I know we're going to miss our chance to escape, but she's unconscious and barely breathing. It's okay, my friend. Thank you for trying. This whole thing has been a gutting experience. I never imagined I would witness the kind of gross abandonment followed by career-preserving silence of senior leaders, military, and civilian. As a result of the way that we've left Afghanistan, we're on the front end of a national security crisis as 27 violent extremist groups are now operating on former NATO security bases with Taliban top cover. And I think we're on the front end of a mental health tsunami as 
of our Afghan war veterans say they feel betrayed by how this war ended. Calls to the VA hotline have spiked 81% in the first year since the Afghan withdrawal, and they keep coming. My friend Brad was found dead a few months ago in a Mississippi hotel room. His wife, Dana, confirmed to me that the Afghan abandonment reactivated all the demons that he had managed to put behind him from our time in Afghanistan together. And he just couldn't find his way out of the darkness of that moral injury. America is building a nasty reputation for multi-generational systemic abandonment of our allies that we leave as smoldering human wreckage from the mountain yards of Vietnam to the Kurds in Syria. Our veterans know something else that this committee might do well to consider. We might be done with Afghanistan, but it's not done with us. The enemy has a vote. If we don't set politics aside and pursue accountability and lessons learned to address this grievous moral injury on our military community and right the wrongs that have been inflicted on our most at-risk Afghan allies, this colossal foreign policy failure will follow us home and ultimately draw us right back into the graveyard of empires where it all started. Thank you, and I look forward to your questions. I would just want to play the applause at the end, and then uh, also the testimony from that Marine sergeant. Remember the one who said that they had a sh- they had a shot at what they believe was the suicide bomber. Yeah, right. And the chaos, you know, his testimony was at the uh, you know the, describing the chaos that was going on yeah. and what they witnessed, what the U.S. soldiers witnessed, and the fact that they believe they had a shot. That was his testimony. They had a shot at the actual suicide bomber that killed, uh, you know, and they couldn't get any type of communication. You know, it just was, nobody wanted, you know, nobody wanted to be in charge of that one. Right. And, you know, the, you you just, you see, it's absolutely heartbreaking. But for John Kirby, a rear admiral, 30 years in the Navy to get up there and betray everything that, he claimed he was about for 30 years to betray the soul of the military for Joe Biden is just reprehensible. Well, I've, to, I've never seen betray that yep. core belief that I've got your back. Yep. Oh, I didn't see it from my perch. You're on your own. I'm going to blame game. What we actually saw from our perch is Biden's back because he turned it repeatedly on the American people and all of those who served. And now the Gold Star families that are still grieving and will grieve until the end of time. And their answer is, we didn't see it from our perch. And we're proud of of what we did. When you don't turn your back. It's amazing what yeah. you see. Biden, Kirby said, oh, he's proud of what, what we accomplished. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. Just 86690-RED-EYE. We'll be right back with more Red Eye Radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 86690 Red Eye. I think the administration would have been better off just not to release anything. 
We're not going to do an assessment. We'll let everybody else do one. We're not going to do one. Well, you but know, to- that's the whole thing is that I think it's a given, you know, um, we go back to the 800-page report on Benghazi from the uh, then-House Republicans, and I remember, um, you know, Trey Gowdy and, and others standing up there and saying, look, here it is. You guys in the media take it and you assess it for what it is. Well, you're blaming so-and-so. Here's the report. Take the report and go with it. We're not. I'm not going to sit up here and I'm not going to do this. The report will speak for itself. There's 800 pages here. So go for it. And now I think it's a given that you'll probably have something come from House Republicans. I don't know why in the world you would put on the the show you put on yesterday. I mean, it was on fire for a couple of hours straight. As Kirby started speaking and it went on and on and on and really didn't die down even up to the point we went on the air. Yeah, I've got uh, I just want to read this very quickly. Uh, the, uh, it was Ed O'Keefe who asked that first question saying, hey, we're, you know, from CBS. He's, but he also said, I got two specific ones about this document after a, a speed read here. On page eight, the president received and accepted the unanimous advice of his top national security officials to end the evacuation on August 31st. What is the definition of a nat- top national security official? Because we know that General McKenzie, who was in head of CENTCOM, has said he objected to aspects of this. And so what's the definition of a top national security official? I'm loath to get into individual advice at individual members. I'm not going to ask the, answer the question because we know from the testimony of the top generals, we know the top general in Afghanistan quit. Yeah. Remember, he, said he, didn't, he didn't want a part of it. Right. And when the generals were in front of Congress, they denied, they denied what Biden said. And yep. so that's why the media is asking, well, who are these top officials? Because the top generals didn't say that. Right. They testified before Congress and said, no, we didn't do it. Right. I mean, and so for, for Kirby, Kirby, here's my point. Get another job. Yeah. You right. just, he spit on the graves of American soldiers. It's just despicable. Top of the Hour News is brought to you by House Products. Visit HouseProducts.com. This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. This is Red Eye Radio. All across the USA and around the planet, we are Red Eye Radio, 866-90-RED-EYE. He is Eric Harley, and I'm Gary McNamara. Good morning. Here we go. We're to a uh, a Friday. You know, before we go any further, I just, uh, you know, one, one of the things we've talked about many times before is this administration is... So unique because this is an administration where they send people out and the president will go out and they will lie. And we, we've come up with this particular narrative that is only humorous because it could be, it could be used in, in, in a comedy routine. You know, you could actually have an improv group 
you know, do this. This is sort of like a, a John Lovitz's liar character yeah. where everybody knows that he's lying. But we, the narrative we've talked about with this administration is they lie. The press knows that they lie. The people watching it know knows that the administration is lying. The administration, whoever's out there, knows that the press and the people watching know that they're lying, and they still continue to lie. And for most of the time, nobody calls them out and says, you know, you know you're lying, we know you're lying, everybody watching knows you're lying, and you continue to lie. And that's the uniqueness, I think, of this, which is where you get into gaslighting. And gaslighting is the idea that everybody knows the truth. Everybody knows the truth of what happened in Afghanistan. Why? We saw it with our own eyes. We saw it. You saw the president's poll numbers probably decrease more on that than anything else. Mm-hmm. Because they said, my yeah. God, you know, he he lied about this. He lied about this. We had troops got killed, be, you know, because of, of what the president did, and he lied about it yeah. the entire time. And this is a yeah. case when you have John Kirby out there trying to sell it yesterday, you know, gaslighting to the max, even the networks didn't buy it. No. Yeah, I want, I want to play this. This is NBC News. This is uh, 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 CBS uh, Chief White House Correspondent Kristen Walker uh, talking about it yesterday. And you can see they can't find a way to put a positive spin on this. Tonight, nearly two years after the deadly and disastrous American withdrawal from Afghanistan, those stunning images of Afghans desperately chasing U.S. planes and the airport terror attack, which killed 13 U.S. service members. The Biden administration releasing its after-action review, trying to pin much of the blame on former President Trump, who had left office eight months earlier, including citing sharp drawdowns of U.S. troops. It is also undeniable that decisions made and the lack of planning done by the previous administration significantly limited options available to him. Though acknowledging the Biden administration should have started the evacuation earlier. Despite facing withering criticism, President Biden at the time called the withdrawal a, quote, extraordinary success. No nation. No nation has ever done anything like it in all of history. And today, this pushback from a White House spokesperson. For all this talk of chaos, I just didn't see it. Not from my perch. I just won't buy the whole argument of chaos. It was tough in the first few hours. But a former top Trump official tonight firing back. They came in, took the plan that we had, uh, and just botched it. Uh, It is outrageous for them to somehow try and blame anyone but Joe Biden. We pressed the White House. Does the president take responsibility for the withdrawal and everything that happened thereafter? He's the commander-in-chief, and uh, he absolutely has responsibility for uh, the operations that our men and women uh, conduct and the orders that he gives. Meanwhile, in Taliban-controlled Afghanistan tonight, women face new oppression, and Afghan interpreters who help the U.S. are in hiding. Okay, and, and it goes on to talk about all the problems and the chaos still over there and the hundreds of thousands of allies of Americans that are in hiding right now. And and uh, uh, But the, the interesting thing was, if you watch the video, because as right before he starts talking about the fact that there's not a lot of chaos they're showing the chaos well and that you don't it. you don't yeah. see that in the actual the you know because i'm just all you hear is the audio but they're playing the chaos and they show the plane scene you know well, they show the plane scene and and they're and also demonstrating here in this report that the chaos still exists yep and then we go to MSNBC 
who you think would find a way, and probably someone did try to find a way, but in this case, when they actually are talking to uh, NBC News investigative unit uh, reporter Dan DeLuce, let's hear what he had to say about it. This is on MSNBC. Here we go. You know, there are not really new facts as far as we can see in this report. It's very much an argument similar to the argument they made right after that chaotic withdrawal that really they inherited this terrible situation from the Trump administration, that the intelligence community wasn't predicting the Afghan army would collapse so quickly and that they did the best they could in those circumstances. But it's a very very defensive in tone and it doesn't mention that as early as April of that year, there were lawmakers and refugee advocates and veterans groups that were all pleading with the White House privately and publicly to start evacuating all of the Afghans that had worked as interpreters and in other jobs for U.S. forces. So I think this is not going to resolve uh, the criticism and the debate about how the withdrawal was managed, setting aside whether the decision to withdraw was the right one. There you go. On MSNBC. So uh, again, as you can see, they uh, they they can't they can't make the case because if they could spin that in a positive way, they would. But the fact is, this is two years old, and we saw the biggest drop in the president's support after Afghanistan. Everybody saw what was going on, and this got back to remember this is when everything in that first year, and and still the president will blame Trump for everything, but this is when remember on illegal immigration remember early on you're talking you know april may uh, june of 2021 when the when uh illegal immigrants started coming to the border and biden was attempting to blame trump for it and nobody bought that and then when he rolled this out blaming trump nobody bought that either the public didn't buy it and so they're still trying to sell something this is why this is really the most egregious form of gaslighting is because it's not that you know, we've known the truth for 10 minutes and know you're lying. It's that we've known the truth for two years. And John Kirby, we're admiral former of the Navy for 30 years, spits on the graves of, of soldiers and said, what, chaos? I didn't see any chaos from my perch. My God, my God, Eric, just unbelievable. Listening to members of parliament uh, in the UK. I remember that. It was so heartbreaking as a number of them who had served talked about their fellow countrymen that they lost. Mm-hmm. And the, because, you know, this whole idea of I got your back is also part and parcel with we leave no one behind. With Biden. Not only is he going to leave you behind in Afghanistan when you ask him questions about it, he's going to turn your ba- his yep. back on you repeatedly. And then John Kirby's going to stand here two years later and say, I don't know what you're looking at, Jack. I fully expected him to use that. I fully expected him by the end of it to say, what's wrong with you, Jack? I'm not seeing that. There you was, must be yeah. crazy if you saw chaos. You know, there was a certain arrogance to him, uh, you know, and, and then the, you know, the, the gaslighting comes in like the disbelief. Like, what are you, what are you talking about? You, this was, we had wonderful successes. Yeah. It's yeah. like, oh, my God. I mean, it's just, I, I just. Zero I, respect. 
zero respect for the families yep. of the fallen, zero respect for those who served over there for years, repeated tours. If there was ever the ultimate example of what this administration was about, you saw it yesterday, betraying oh, everybody. No, that's that's it. This is the problem that we have right now is that there is not anyone at the White House who is competent as a leader. We do not have a true commander-in-chief, and that is a very dangerous situation for this nation. What you saw yesterday was also the equivalent of a white flag to all of any and all would-be enemies Mm -hmm. that if you want to get something done and you want to commit atrocities against the U.S. anywhere in the world, against Westerners and allies of the U.S., then now is your time. That's what that's what you're telling them because what you're saying is we won't see the truth, and when you do what you do, we won't call it chaos. We'll ignore it and tell the media they're blind. Yeah, because, it, it, you know, you're sending – that's a great point. You know, you're, a great point because you're sending – the gaslighting by Kirby sends the message – that you can roll over the United States and the president, the executive branch, the commander-in-chief, will lie to the American public of what's going on. The enemy can have victories, and the president will lie to the American public as to what's going on. And by the way, I I should have played that whole audio from uh, uh, Kristen Welker of NBC News because Mm. at the end of the report, she talked about all the chaos going on in in Afghanistan right now and then also said that the projection from the intelligence agencies of the United States, and this story came out but <clears throat> a month ago, mm-hmm. that they expect that the, uh, the, the Taliban and the terrorist organizations within the next six months have the ability to strike at the United States. Yeah, I, I have no doubt. Um, there clearly was something going on. We know, of course, the, the Taliban's footprint, but the fact mm-hmm. that they were working with al-Qaeda Uh, Whether they work with ISIS or not, it doesn't matter. ISIS has enough territory in that region. They were likely able to gain enough resources as a result of this botched exit. Uh, Certainly, al-Qaeda and the Taliban are, and Iran will have no problem if they need a helping hand. So uh, they can't even sell it to the media. that's 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 the thing. Two years later, they throw out the same lie. Yeah. And gaslight, and, gaslight even more because this has settled in people's minds over the last two years. The people of the United States knows what happens. And John Kirby not only spit on the graves of American soldiers killed, but he might as well just have come right out and given the finger to all America. Just go out and go, here, here it is. Here's the finger. They're mm-hmm. all Americans. That's it. That's about our only thing. Yeah, quit it, your it, whining. Right. In, instead of gaslighting, just give the American public the finger and then yeah. walk away. Yeah. <clears throat> I have never, and I've covered politics for a long time, I've never seen anything like that that moment yesterday no. where everybody's like, what in the hell are you doing, I, Kirby? It, it, was, it, was, it was so bizarre, honestly. It made me, for, for a split second, it made me feel like, Something was wrong with him, that something was going on with him physiologically. No, you're right. That something was so bizarre. Something is wrong with him. Think about this. Did you ever think 
that anyone could come to that podium and be worse than Kareem Jean-Pierre. No. He was. It was, and it was so bad. It was absolutely horrible. I mean, it's the closest, the effect of the message that it sends to any enemy. It's the closest to a white flag as you can set up right now. And we've never been there as a nation. Yeah, and and I would, uh, yeah, that's what I would ask him. I'd, I'd actually ask John Kirby, if, if I got to meet him right now, I'd say, who the hell side are you on? Yeah. What side are you on? Right. You served in the American military for 30 years. You, you well, remember. You, you, you rose to the rank of rear admiral. You, you know, you've just, you've just, you just betrayed the military and you betrayed every one of those soldiers who died. Well, remember, they wanted us to believe that the Taliban was cooperating. Yeah, remember that? And those yeah. final hours. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, they're our friends. It's the Taliban. They're not the enemy. I mean, you talk about blind, absolutely blind and incompetent. That's the Biden administration. We, we can't give you, there is no clearer example. Of no. why they should be out of office and should be out of office now. Yes. 86690-RED-EYE. Most owner-operators leased to larger carriers are paid on a per-mile basis or a percentage of revenue per load. The per-mile basis is most prevalent among larger fleets. Percentage at smaller. Pay per mile tends to dominate discussions about pay just because it's easier to measure. And pay per mile often is wrongly used as the deciding factor in leasing to a carrier. While pay-per-mile can be a vital factor, it's not a cure for every ill. Nor does it mean a big settlement check is coming an owner-operator's way. Why? Because pay-per-mile always must be considered in balance with gross revenue as well as total costs. Gross revenue can include flat mileage pay, mileage pay that varies by length of haul, percentage revenue pay, and more. Most importantly, though, for every revenue dollar generated, only part of that dollar is profit. But for every extra dollar of cost saved, the entire dollar contributes to profit. Knowing and understanding your cost to operate is fundamental to understanding the true value of any pay package. Owner-Operator Business 101 is provided by Shell Rotella. Shell Rotella, with advanced synthetic technology, is designed to help keep your rig running with more mileage and less maintenance. Lines open for your calls. 866-90-RED-EYE on Red Eye Radio. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carney, and I'm Gary McNamara, 86690. I'll tell you one thing. I think the Republicans, I did see that they're going to have more hearings now mm-hmm. on this uh, this whole thing because of the president coming out. Now, the one interesting thing is because the, the media noticed this, that, you know, well, where's the president? Why isn't he speaking right, on this? Right. And then he's out for a long weekend now, yeah. and he walked out. He didn't walk out the normal door that he walked out. He walked out another door, and so he didn't have to answer questions. Right. And then there was even a small contingent, apparently, of a few reporters there. And he walked right by them, ignored them completely, and went right to the helicopter. The whole the whole point is they're just hoping, all right, we put this out. 
not on a Friday. I mean, it's still a weekend. It's still a weekend dump because they're out. It's Good Friday, mm-hmm. you know. So they're they're out for you know they're out for the in, entire weekend, and he won't address this at all. And they even ask Kirby, will he address it? No, there's really no plans for him to address this. They, again, he did. He didn't turn his. Well, he did turn his back again. That's what he did yeah, again. I'm not. Exactly I'm the commander in chief. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna throw out blame to someone else. I'm gonna gaslight. I'm gonna lie again. Then I'm gonna turn around and walk away. Yep. Well, man. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I got turn. a three day weekend. Yep. I'm not gonna answer questions. I'm not accountable. Oh, Kirby saying that at one point. This isn't about accountability. Yeah. <laughs> What the hell is wrong with you? We got to we got to find that audio. I, I I know it's in there, but we've got. It's just that it was this heaping, steaming pile for for our audience. For your sake, you should know this heaping, steaming pile is still right now on fire in our control room. So we're we're sifting through it because it was so bad yesterday. I've never seen anything like this. I've never seen anything like this. Neither have I. I, I will say, I, and I've seen a lot of things, uh, but and, and after I saw it, I went, you should have just said, here's a report and have nobody talk about it. Just say, That's I right. don't know, I don't know, I don't know, We're I don't issue know, the I don't report. know. We welcome you to, and, and this is what Trey Gowdy did with the 800-page report on Benghazi. Listen, here's the report. Well, do you blame somebody? Here's the report. Right, yeah. Here's the report. Take the report, and we're going to leave it up to the media to dissect it. I have, I have it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. okay here, here we go. go. All, right. All, right. All right. Well, who's going to get fired over this, Peter? The purpose of the document that we're putting out today uh, is to sort of collate the chief reviews and findings of the agencies that did after-action reviews. Um, uh, the it, it's not. The, the purpose of it is not accountability. That's, that is insane. I know. Oh, but you keep blaming Trump. It's accountability as long as Trump's involved. Right. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. The Bona Show. And it's Red Eye Radio, 86690 Red Eye. He is Eric Carley and I'm Gary McNamara. Download our Red Eye Radio app today and listen when and where you want if you can't listen live overnight. Think about this. We got to a Thursday and I saw nothing on the president and the indictment from Tuesday. Except the only thing I the only thing I saw on it was like 
uh, National Review. Yeah, I was going to say I saw something yeah, in National yeah, Review, I, I, but I, nothing from mainstream. Right. I'm, I'm, yeah. And and the analysis coming out is really you you've got a lot of legal people looking at this saying, and then it lacks this, and then in addition it lacks this, and it lacks this, and it's like and and wait a minute they haven't I mean, Dan McLaughlin. There's no fraud. They don't say where the fraud is. Right. The ridiculousness of the Trump indictment. Right. The missing fraud. And and so that's the only thing I saw was... Um, and then Andrew McCarthy. Bragg's case against Trump is utterly incoherent. I mean, there's like more... And then, I mean, yeah. there there was... And I think this might have been yesterday morning. I mean, there, there was a... Uh, you know, Paul Krugman, Trump indictment is uh, uh, karmic justice, uh-huh. regardless of verdict. Uh-huh. So it's got nothing to do with that there's a solid case here. It's just, okay, uh, let me throw an emotional rant. But there was nothing where the mainstream media actually took a hold of it and said, you know, okay, there's a solid case here. And so they're just abandoning it, except a Paul Krugman, who, again, is an emotional nightmare to begin with. It's, you know, basically... A, that's what liberalism is. Right. Emotion and rage. <laughs> but everything else was like, can you believe he did this? Well, you know, you... and here's another thing, too. A, a couple days ago, um, this is uh, from the 4th. I, I still love this. I still, I've read it so many times, but I love reading it because of who Andrew McCarthy is. <laughs> He's always measured in his writing at National Review. He always has one. Yeah. He always has been. So, um, you know, former prosecutor, he knows what he's talking about. And then Mm -hmm. he'll walk through very methodically. He speaks the legal language, um, and he's very good at plain Englishing what's going on in a situation. And he he would be the first to tell you, man, this looks horrible for Trump. But this is from the 4th, April 4th. Bragg's indictment even fails as an indictment. And then it starts with, what a disgrace. I know. (laughs) I mean, if Andrew McCarthy is starting there because of just... Now, there are are a couple of the folks that uh, over there at National Review who really do a great job at kind of mixing in some of that emotional sentiment. Um, and then doing the the really great analysis that they do and comedy. Jim Garrity does yeah, it all the time. I think Garrity's yeah. is really great at it. Um, and you, but you look at it here, and when when it starts from when Andrew McCarthy starts that way, what a disgrace! It's he's. I can just picture him <laughs> shaking his head, kind of like you're hanging your head right there while you're laughing, but in a, in in a way where he's just kind of. Oh, looking down, shaking his head. What a disgrace. Because it does. The, the the case itself fails on so many. There's no, there is no case. No, there, and there's that's, nothing there. And, and that's the entire thing. And that's why the, his article yesterday in the New York Post where he said, basically, the indictment is utterly incoherent. Now, he said it, it's not yeah. an indictment. Right. And by the way, there you did see that coming up from Republicans yesterday. Yeah. Because yeah. an indictment has to, if it's actual indictment, and we've asked, what it, what was it? Andrew McCarthy asked what it was because in an indictment in New York, you're supposed to state specifically what the crime yep. is. Yes. And and as we said yesterday, that's the one thing that I think the public really attached to. And then Democrats went, well, we've got nothing here. Because if you say we're going after the president, 
yet the DA says, I don't have to specify what the crime is. People go, what the hell are you talking about? You don't have to yeah. specify what the crime is. Of course you do. Yeah. You're, you just, you've, you've got a guy, you're making a big deal that you've arrested this guy and you're going to get him and you can't tell us what the crime is? I mean, it's, I mean, it is, it's just staggering. And uh, he, 34 counts. And then it was yesterday, goes, the DA's biggest problem is the indictment is uh, utterly incoherent. And he, and he writes, there's just one thing. The only schemes Bragg accuses Trump of carrying out prior to the 2016 election are non-disclosure agreements. Uh, the and NDAs were hush money deals to silence people who otherwise poised uh, were poised to reveal information that would have damaged Trump politically. But yet there is nothing illegal about non-disclosure agreements. They are the staple of civil litigation and private right. negotiations. Right. And while some of the underlying information, if revealed, would have portrayed Trump in an unsavory way, none of the information involved illegal activity. In fact, to the extent anything uh, was even on the edge of crime, Trump was a victim. This was now for Andrew McCarthy to say that to me. I okay. When yeah, I, no, when no, I, no. When I read a, that, I burst out laughing. That's, that's going even but, further in the direction I was just spelling out but, earlier. Yeah, it's he's portraying Trump as a victim. And if you know anything of Andrew McCarthy, it takes a lot to do that. Right. Well, because, I mean, he wrote the book Ball of Collusion where yeah, he went through yeah, yeah. the legal points, but he has no problem, you know, problem pounding on Trump because right, he has right. legally in the past. But he says, in, a, in, a, in fact, to the extent anything was done on, uh, on the, even on the edge of crime, Trump was the victim. Non the non-disclosure agreements happened because people made extortion threats to humiliate him if they did not get their paydays. <laughs> wow. Like, oh, my God. What a great point. Now, it may not be legally extortion, but morally, yeah, you can. And that's why I believe he says edge of crime. Right. Yeah. And he says, as a good woke progressive, Bragg is upset because this is Donald Trump we're talking about. So if embarrassing information about him was kept under wraps prior to Election Day, that simply must be a crime. But since Bragg Wells knows... However much it grates on him, the NDAs are not crime. The DA, the DA is left to make up crimes to fit his fever dream of a stolen 2016 uh, uh, election. And so, and then he goes through, but you know what Bragg tried to do and all that. But I burst out laughing when I saw that yesterday when he went, "Trump's the victim because non-disclosure agreements happen because someone says I'm going to tell unless you pay me money." Right. Which morally, it may not be legally uh, legal extortion. <laughs> But it is it it is definitely it's moral extortion, right? And and uh, you know and uh, I'm going to humiliate you if I don't get my particular uh, payday on that. What he's saying is that's closer to a crime than than anything Trump has done. Yeah, and so I mean I, I just uh, uh, it, that was amazing yesterday, and to see the silence because I you know you and I were talking about oh, this will probably last till till Thursday, and mm -hmm. and you knew that when. When uh, the media jumped on the number one story as the the Tennessee House and the situation going on there, you knew at that point, okay, they're done with Trump. Yeah. They don't. Yeah. They know they can't touch it. Yeah. And then they, they got a story that they liked, and the story that they liked is uh, the 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 fact of uh, you know the bad Republicans of of uh, Tennessee and all these people were doing was protesting the gun law, <laughs> and it does wasn't all that they were doing. Uh, they were stopping the business of the house inside of the Tennessee House. Mm. 
uh, obviously, I mean, nobody's denying the facts behind it. And if you look at it, you'll see Democrats just basically throwing out, it was our right to freedom of speech, not talking about the fact that these Democrats, along with the mob, was stopping the business of the House. And they were told by the sergeant of arms, you must stop it. And they did not. Yeah. And they were in the well of the the, the, the House with the bullhorn, they were told to stop, mm. and they and they did not. One of the best was I, I saw one of the um, was on Twitter. One of the um, I believe it was one of the representatives, a Democrat representative, said, "We didn't occupy. We didn't occupy." And then, and then later, then then later after the the video came out about it, the the one um, the one representative who was uh, uh, who was uh, <clears throat> not just expelled, mm-hmm. uh, you know, right. <laughs> Uh, you know, basically about the video. The video shows me occupying. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's like, it's like, uh, don't criticize us for saying occupying. Yeah. He said occupy. Right. Now, you can debate what the punishment should be, but you can't debate that what those Democrats did in the Tennessee uh, uh, House was illegal. Yeah. You're not allowed to do what they did. And so the whole point is, well, it's about gun control, so it's justified. And then they claimed that it was um, that it was uh, that it was racism because two of the representatives that were, and by the way, this is everything that you could almost write a book on this. Oh, of course, this is going to be the next thing that the left does. Yeah. Okay, this is going to be it. All right, they keep out the information. They don't talk about the fact that they actually broke the law by trying to stop the business of the house. Mm-hmm. Oh, what do you call that? An insurrection. Yeah. Uh and and so um you know they they do exactly what they just tell half truths and try to make their point and then claim racism and the point that was made is they were originally going to uh, uh expel uh three representative democratic representatives. The two they did were black, the one they did not was white. And as I saw, one of the explanations was was the reason that she wasn't is because she actually apologized. Hmm. She apologized and said, you know, we were wrong. And the rest of the Democrats are saying, no, what we did was right and nothing wrong was done here. Yeah, we were proud of it. Right. So you can make the case of what the punishment should be, whether it should be censure. I mean, that happens all the time. What should punishment? What you can't debate is the Democrats broke the law. Yeah. Those Democrats broke the law. Right. You're not allowed to do that. Sergeant Arms says to get out. I'm amazed they weren't arrested. No, I'm, I am too. Because because you can't do you can't sit there and say we are going to stop the business and take over the house. You can't do that. Remember Democrats January sixth? Did, did yeah, you forget about right. that? That's you know. no. I mean, it seems like short memory syndrome yeah. is is everywhere these days. Um, but uh, you know, if they were Republicans, of course that would be a very different story. Yeah, I'm sure. So, I mean, it had everything, and that's why when I saw that rise to the number one story, I went, mm-hmm. oh, the Trump thing's dead. they got to move on. Oh, and, yeah. and it's funny right. because it's exa- it fits the narrative of what the Democrats do all the time. They'll do something that's wrong. They'll scream that they were simply protesting, which means, okay, they're not telling you the entire truth behind it yeah. because they believe that the people that support them are completely ignorant. Right. So we'll just tell them we were just lawfully protesting and doing nothing wrong, and they're suspending us. And then when the video comes out and they can't justify that anymore, then they move to the next thing. Well, two black representatives got suspe- or got expelled and not the white. Therefore, it's racism. Racism, yeah. Right. And because it's not an insurrection. <laughs> right, right, right. Exactly. Because we're Democrats. <laughs> right. It's not an it's not an insurrection because 
what we believe is important is important. Well, and riots aren't riots in blue cities. They're mostly peaceful protests. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and, and so, like I said, it was, uh, you know, the Democrats believe that if they because this is and I, Jonathan Turley is the one, the, the constitutional law professor who was a Democrat, is the one who's really been pounding on this, that we're in the Democrats are in the age of rage. Everything is rage. You don't get into actually talking about the topics because we've talked about gun control. And we said reasonable people can look at it, even if you are if you're pro gun control, you can look at it if you're being reasonable and say, I wish I could change the law today, but I can't. You know, we're not yeah, going right. to take guns. The the Second Amendment exists, the constitutional process to overturning that amendment would take decades. So what do we do now? What do right. we do now to make it safer? Right. Well yeah. and and uh uh, as Dan Crenshaw said, uh, two police officers in every school. Right. How are we not right. doing that already? Yeah. Now, you may say, well, there's too much money. Yeah, but you're saying, what's the solution to it? Well, the solution, take all guns away from Americans. Well, you can't do it. And Or if you say, well, get rid of assault weapons. Well, what's an assault weapon? You can't even define what an assault weapon is. So it's an assault weapon, then it's the next weapon. Then when you get down to the vast majority of shootings are handguns, and you want to get rid of handguns, which means complete gun control. You're not going to get that right now. But it's like, we know we can't get it. We don't want to actually protect kids in school by putting police officers in schools because kids are scared of police officers with guns, which is a load of horse manure, as we all know. Mm-hmm. So what do we do? Ah, let's let's do the same thing they do on reparations. Let's scream that we wish to do the impossible now. And if we can't do the impossible now, we will just rage. We will try to take over you know, the, 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 the House will sit in the well, will stop the business of the government from going, and will rage and rage and rage, but we won't come up with a solution that is actually practical today, and we'll ignore what the reality is, even if we wanted gun control, how long it would take to get there. Right. Yep. That's what you're dealing with. And we all know it. Yep. This is, this is you know, the, the MO is the same. Over and over again. 866-90-RED-EYE. Get in touch with Red Eye Radio, toll free at 866-90-RED-EYE. And Tread Eye Radio, he is Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 86690 of Red Eye. By the way, we're talking about Andrew McCarthy. The only articles we really saw of any substance were just going, can you believe this indictment and looking at the legal thing? At the end of the article yesterday, he writes, just idiotic. And he normally doesn't write like that. No, he He doesn't. doesn't. That's how bad. To get get that kind of emotion out of him. Yep. Tells you how bad it is. This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Now... It's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. 
Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. This is Red Eye Radio. We are Red Eye Radio. It is Masters Week. It is Masters Week. It is Masters Week. Eric's going to be talking in his quiet voice. I was going to say, maybe you should talk in the Jim Nance Masters voice. Yes, we could get some chirping birds in here, could we? You know, I was... Fake fake birds. I was reading a... um, This is going back some time, but I think it was the Atlantic had a thing on the Masters, and they actually had a reporter there who... He was, it wasn't when the tournament was going on, Yeah, but he was, uh, I, I don't think, like, it wasn't like the last day, so mm-hmm. I don't know if it was practice rounds or whatever, Right. but he would, he was hearing the tweeting, he was hearing the birds, Yeah. and he had heard, you know, the, the, uh, the, uh, the story that those are actually speakers, Right. because CBS actually got caught a few years ago, uh, with the bird chirps, they added them in. Yeah, yeah. But the rumor's always been that, and, and what happened was there's some <laughs> there's some bird expert who hears a bird <laughs> that isn't located in Georgia. Yeah, no, that's how it went down. That's how it went down. Because it was but, like, that, can't, uh, that those, bird can't be there. That, that is not a native bird to Georgia. They're not even found. They've never been found in right. North America, <laughs> and and so he heard he heard the bird yeah. chirping. Yeah. So he goes in. He's looking to see if there's speakers. This reporter from the Atlantic, right? And he's going into the bushes to look, and all of a sudden this bird comes flying out. He goes, oh, he's like it's a. He turns around. There's two security guards looking at him, like, what are you doing? He goes, hey, it's a real bird. And then he just turned around and walked away. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's funny! <laughs> Somebody was it Saturday Night Live? Do did they do the parody of it? And then it was just like it it became like you know noises from a jungle, and then you heard all this. It just got louder and louder as the oh, as did the they went. really? Yes, I don't remember <laughs> if it was Saturday Night Live or. Wow. If somebody did it on YouTube or, they have, or one they have of the comedy like, channels or something. I'm Jim Nance at Augusta yeah. National. And, and it just got And louder. you can't hear me anymore yeah, because the, no- the birds yeah. are getting... <laughs> the noises, you know, and all the different animals, then elephant noises in the background and the whole thing. Well, I mean, some of the things when you think about it, uh, when I was watching the, the, the Par 3 contest the other day, yeah, and there's Ike's Pond right there. Right. You know, there's Ike's... And Ike's Pond... Um, you know, they're showing Ike's Pond, uh, and this relates sort of today because, and, and I forgot, maybe it was the same Atlantic article that I read a couple of years ago. I think it came out in like 20, I can't remember, maybe it was 2019, um, doing this from memory. But it, it, the, the, the article had a, just a huge impact on me because I was dying laughing, especially with the, you know, the bird in the bush. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, talking about uh, that, uh, yeah, it was 2019 because they referred to um, uh, the Augusta National uh, as as um, Mar uh, Marlago for mm-hmm. Eisenhower because Eisenhower became good friends after World War II before he was ever became president with uh, Cliff Roberts who was the you know him and and Bobby Jones were the ones who created it Bobby Jones considered still today probably the greatest amateur golfer mm. is the only golfer that has a natural grand slam, which means he won all four majors in one calendar year. Nobody's ever done that. Tiger 
won three in one year. Within a year, but not a calendar year? Yeah, Tiger won it within a year, but not in a calendar year. Bobby Jones is the only one. But you didn't have the PGA Championship at the time. It was the British Amateur that that yeah. uh, that and, and and Bobby Jones was an amateur at the time, mm. but this was considered the the uh, the the four majors. But uh, Cliff Roberts actually built a house, and Eisenhower was there so much that they Atlantic preferred to it as Eisenhower's Mar-a-Lago, and I was like, mm. that's cool. But then they showing Ike's Pond that Cliff Roberts, uh, who really ran, I mean Bobby Jones, uh, you know. They both founded it, but it was really Cliff Roberts who was the business person uh, be uh, behind it. Um, Jones, and I can't think of the other English. Oh, I can't think of his name. Um, but if you heard the guy's name, you go, okay, yeah, he was a golfer. Or he he was into golf. Uh, Bobby Jones, the guy actually designed uh, the uh, the Masters. But Ike's, or, the, or excuse me, not the Masters, but Augusta National. And um, Ike's Pond, was he built for Eisenhower to fish in. And then Ike's Pond is where Cliff Roberts, in 1977, committed suicide right there. Mm. The the uh, one of the uh, the uh, creators, I guess the uh, uh, founder, uh, uh, the founder, one of the founders, yeah, the founders of uh, mm. Augusta. But so many, you know, so many great stories. I did see uh, a story out there, and I don't think I've ever related this one on the air, but I thought it was great yesterday. And this popped into my mind because we were talking about how. You don't call them spectators, they're patrons. Mm-hmm. That uh, you may hear, what do they say? The, the, you will hear many times, and I don't know whether television has to say it today, uh, the television announcers do, but remember, every single year CBS is on a year-to-year contract in case they screw it up. Right. It's a year-to-year contract every year. Yeah. Now, I don't know how you get rid of Jim Nance, but... Because for most people, especially over the last thirty years, he is the master. You know, he is the the, the masters. But uh, the um, Bobby Jones, the other founder, mm. the the great golfer, didn't like the term the back nine. Thought that was too much sounding like a rear end, <laughs> and so it was. And I don't know whether I'm gonna. And I said I'm gonna listen tomorrow to see if they talk about. Well, it all begins on the back nine, or does it begin on the second nine? Mm. Because for a while, they were insisted that you call it the second nine, uh, because Bobby Jones, who died in 1971, uh, objected to that because he thought it sounded too much like a rear end. Mm. And the other story that, you know, one of the best books I read, it was Kurt Sampson's book, The Masters, which really went into it. But this is known, it was in... It was actually in uh, the James Brown movie. What was it? Uh, oh, I can't remember the, the movie that came out. For, James Rogers can't remember the name of the movie in 2014. The uh, the uh, uh, the ro- the royal fighting or the fighting roy- royals or whatever you called it. Mm. But you had a hotel that was there in Augusta that all the Augusta National members went to. This is in the 1930s, and yeah, this this you hear it, and you go, yeah, pretty racist. They would take five, uh, five or six, you know, uh, young black men, put them in a boxing ring, blindfold them, tie one hand behind their back, and they would just punch each other for the entertainment of the the you know the members that were there. And they recreate that in the movie, and uh, in the James Brown movie, because James Brown, the singer, was one of those young boys hmm. who was involved in that in that uh, boxing. Wow! So wow! 
But, uh, yeah, it's a different place. Like I said, it's a different place now. And it was hilarious the other day for the par three where Gary Player hits a shot. By the way, he he made a lot of news where he said, they, somebody said something, and he goes, all my friends are dead. <laughs> He's on the golf. He goes, oh, that was a, a pretty not normal thing to say. Well, I heard him say it, and I was laughing like crazy. I think the newspapers right now are looking for anything that's drama. I mean, anything that's but, drama, they can you know, turn into something. You get to that age. I've noticed. We're all just blurred things out. You know? <laughs> I mean, I, I know. I know that I still know. I'm still in that place where, yeah, okay. There, there are boundaries. I understand and respect mm. most boundaries. <laughs> but depending on the day... You might hear me say something, and and it will just fall out. You know, the thing is, is that I'm having my conversation in my mind. Nobody in the room is actually talking, including me. But I'm having a conversation about something, and I'm thinking along those lines, and I can see myself going, you know, all my friends are dead. And then just blurting that out. I mean, it's just, you kind of, sometimes you get to that point. I well, mean, I'm not. I'm not and, ninety. And, I'm only fifty-seven. And I but, think he's eighty. He's eighty-five or eighty-six, and actually playing. Yeah. I mean, he's in great shape. Yeah, I mean, he can actually uh, hit a ball. And uh, but I sort when he, I sort of relate to that, and it made me think because I still, my mom died three years ago last week, mm-hmm. and I have called my dad every single day for three years. Yeah, and I. Um, and most of the time we still talk when I, when at first, the first year we would talk for two hours. Yeah. Now, yesterday, I think it was about an hour and sometimes it's, Hey, I'm busy. I'm doing something, whatever. Or right, right. It may only be 15 minutes, but every time. And then I realize my dad will be 97 next week. And I realize, you know, the, the phone calls are really important to me, but I realize how important they are to him because I realize Everybody he knows is dead. Every, yeah. I mean, he's got yeah. younger sisters and things yeah. like that. I'm not saying the whole family is, but all friends. Well, no, I, everybody, I know exactly ev- what you're saying. Everybody he worked with. Yeah. I think the majority, because he used to just do a couple of years ago, maybe five years ago. Yeah. Every week he'd meet with all his buddies to have coffee. You see so many of yeah. your peers gone. Yeah. And, and, yeah. Every, and so I would go with him when I would come in town. And I realized, oh, my God, I think all of them are gone. Maybe one. Is left, but they don't do that anymore. And and even though he he can he believe it or not he can still drive and we yeah. you know we yeah. want, but he doesn't much right he doesn't really much but he's around. I realize, oh wow, I am a lifeline to him because all of his friends are gone. Right. Everybody he ever and a lot of my fr- father's acquaintances were people that he worked with. You know because right. you talk to engineers and so right. people would call him up and I realize. Yeah. Nobody calls him up anymore. Right. And you think, well, what does anybody go? Oh, they're all gone. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, you know, he, um, you, you realize what a, what a tough thing that has to be. And so when Gary Player, when he, when he threw that out the other day, I started thinking about my dad. I went, wow, my dad's, you know, because he's 85, so my dad's going to be 12 years older. Yeah. And, and so when you sit there, there really aren't a lot of people in there you know, in their nineties. And I won't, you know, the, the call and the, I love the calls every day because I've really gotten to know so much about my father over that time, just 
from spending so much time because when you think about it, it's it's up to you know three hundred and sixty five days. You know, my mom, I would, I probably called my mom every day, but when my mom started getting dementia, she didn't talk long. Yeah, and then I talked to my father, but it wouldn't be long, and then sometimes they wouldn't answer. You know, or mom was there or whatever, and nobody answered. Uh, but with um, this is really the most I've ever talked to my father in my life, you know, with the number of conversations that we have had. And I really view it as a blessing because there are just stories that he's told me that I never heard before. It's it's and, amazing. You know, I, I think about this um, a little over 24 hours ago. We got news that, that my aunt passed away. Oh, yeah, and crazy. she was married to my mom's twin brother. My mom... Uh, we'll be celebrating her birthday coming up uh, in a few days. And I, I told my siblings I'd like to think that Aunt Gwen had a really uh, great and, and glorious birthday party to get to by April 10th. Her husband, of course, as a twin to my mom, he shared that birthday coming up. And, you know, it 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 reminded me, and it was something that I, and I thought of you in this way because it was very emotional. It was, I was getting ready to come back from being sick and, and gone. And I was learning it just an hour before airtime. And it was very emotional. And I heard my Aunt Gwen's voice. She was capable of putting a smile on your face mm-hmm. before you would know it. I mean, she was just <laughs> that kind of person. She was so witty. And she would just sneak him in. And I could hear her voice saying, well... I bet a lot of people wouldn't like to listen to crying on the radio. <laughs> Basically telling me to draw in that big old smile. She was so adorable. And, and I, you know, I could just hear her. I bet crying on the radio isn't that all, isn't all that entertaining. And, you know, it's, I could just hear her. Yeah. That's just who yeah. she was. And it immediately put, you know, that's her legacy, um, as God intended. And, I and and I have I've been reflective uh, here lately with a lot of things going on in my personal life and and you get to that age where you realize okay you know you'll hear of a friend passing and I'm 57 and I still consider myself to be young uh but you you know you lose friends along the way and then you know then you look to our fathers my dad will be 90 here in a few weeks and you look uh, to as you know, their peers. My dad had a fishing buddy named Ken, and they were. It was grumpy old men when they went fishing. <laughs> it was so funny to be out there with them. So funny. Ken was such a great guy, and you know they don't. They don't have those peers. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm grateful that you know my parents have. My mom, by the way, left me a message tonight, and I wasn't able to talk to her. I was asleep but it was this evening and she says um uh eric because i've got the uh message to text so i get the text message i don't even have to listen to it but i can read it to you eric this is mom i want to talk to you see what's going on with you she knows i'm sick and i haven't been able to talk to her because i haven't had a voice uh do i need to come down there and take your tonsils out for you (laughs) it won't hurt much you're gonna feel a little pressure um and uh anyway i i love you and call me when you can. And, and, you know, that was my mom. And I've got that in my voicemails. And I've got, I save all of my mom and dad's voicemails. 
I save them. I want to be able to, you know, one day mm-hmm. hear their voice. My mom leaves the best messages, you know, and sometimes dad will too. But it was, you know, it was just funny. And it was just a, you know, reminder that we have to be grateful, you know, yeah. for every day. Yeah, we do. Good. I'll be back uh, next weekend just for a day. I fly in, fly out for my dad's birthday. Yeah. So yeah. Sing happy birthday to him. But, Good. Uh, but he's doing, Good. he's doing, I mean, he's just doing great. I mean, I'm amazed. He, I, I, I know I'm prejudiced, but one of the best minds for a 97 year old I've ever yeah. experienced, yeah. you know, soon to be 97. Yeah. Cause yeah. he may be a little slower, but he remembers so much. Right. And his technical mind is still there. Yeah. Without right. question. Yep. So yeah. Eight, six, six, 90 red eye. We'll be right back with more Red Eye Radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. It's Friday Radio. Uh, he is Eric Harley, and I'm Gary McNamara. Wow. It's Good Friday. Yeah. How did we get here? I, I, I don't know. It's, it's, East, I mean, it's, it's Easter weekend, and that's... We're into April. I mean, it's just... It, it is a blur, but, you know, <laughs> I was thinking because I don't have the same sense of, you know... Um, calendar time that i've that i've always had <laughs> i know what you mean yeah. you know because you you have to there are mm-hmm. things you have to do every season around the house or whatever you have to and travel that you have and everything else and it's almost like i'm living in the bubble of today because there mm-hmm. are so many things going on i know it just no, feels no you're no you're right it feels pointless yeah. to plan too far out not that i'm not expecting it to happen or Mm-hmm. You know, that there's going to be a zombie apocalypse or something. No, that's it, it's just that things are so busy that really every day requires the whole day. Every day of <laughs> keeping up with this chaos. Yep, it does. Re- it, 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 it takes every minute of that. Day. No, you're right. It does. I mean, it's it, you you live in. And again, we, what we when we say we don't live in the bubble of today, it's like we have memories, so we don't judge yeah, whatever right. happens today simply right. by what happens today. You have to put into context of you know that that issue from back when, and and uh, you know when it comes to judging people too, you don't judge them just by today. It's the full totality of right, right. of of their right. of their lives or their professional lives or you know what they have said over a period of uh, times. But yeah, I I can relate to that. It's just every just trying. You're trying to. There's so much coming at you. You're just trying to get through that day and make sure you get everything right. And right. it's the next day, and, and all of a sudden you look around. Yeah. It's it, one day. It's Christmas. Right. Next day, it's Easter. Exactly. And that's what that's what happened. I mean, yeah. I, and I just thought of a little while ago. I went. It's Good Friday. Yeah. How did this happen? Right. <laughs> Listening to Red Eye Radio from the Uniden America Studios. 
And I'm Gary McNamara along with Eric Harley, 86690 Red Eye. Download our Red Eye Radio app today. Listen when and where you want if you can't listen live overnight. Live. Uh, all right, let's get through a, a ton of other things here. It is a Friday, so we got to clear the desk for the weekend. Right? Okay, what all do right. you got? Uh, Sarah Foster, daughter of the legend, uh, legendary musician David Foster, disavowed liberal politicians as details emerged about the death of tech entrepreneur Bob Lee. And I'm telling you, and you, you were telling me about it yesterday, and I had not seen the video. And I saw the yeah. video today of him stumbling before he fell down and it's, died. It's heartbreaking. It's uh, it's just it's it's almost it's almost unwatchable. Lee, the forty three year old founder of Cash App, was fatally stabbed around two a.m. Tuesday uh, uh, in San Francisco. Authorities have not identified a subject in the attack. Foster shared a screenshot of an article that featured photographs of Lee with his two children. I have no words. Uh, she wrote, San Francisco is a complete S-hole. I am a registered Democrat and feel confident saying liberal politicians are destroying cities. You she, know, she added, disgusting. My heart breaks for this uh, uh, family. Foster's representatives did not immediately respond to Fox News Digital's request uh, for uh, uh, comment. I, you you hear the story about Bob Lee. It's it's so heartbreaking on so many different levels here. But he left San Francisco last fall because the crime was getting too bad. It was just becoming dangerous to live there. This is one of the things that they don't tell you about the tech people who left that area, the Bay Area, for that reason. The liberal media seems to kind of work around that. Well... You know, after COVID, they could work from anywhere, and so they kind of spread out all over the U.S. and moved to different places. But the ones who are reporting it, and including um, when they're intellectually honest, are the ones that will tell you that another big reason that they left those areas is because they didn't feel safe that the rise in violent crime was too much and they didn't feel like they should be there. They didn't feel like their families should be there. And Bob Lee didn't feel safe in San Francisco. And then he returned on business and this happens. And it's so heartbreaking. Um, I was telling you during a break that in these areas where the crime is, is on the rise, including cities like Chicago, who just elected a mayor who's going to be more radical than the last mayor and will likely do zero about the violent crime in Chicago. When you think about these big blue cities, you really honestly, it just feels like from the outside that all is lost because who wants to be a police officer? By the way, God bless the men and women who still serve as police officers in these cities. How frustrating does that have oh to my be? Gosh. I mean, I, I when when you don't when you you're out there, you don't believe. I mean, you're you've been in the city a long time. You've yeah. created a life, you know, for for yeah. yourself. Yeah. You you become Many a, of them, I mean, obviously right. born and right. raised there, many of them feel and, like they want to give back to their community. That's 
a big part and, of it. And you become attached to the community that you that you live and and work in yeah. and you understand that there's a difference between the actual people because what we found out with the whole defund the police and it was really interesting to find it out where that was abstract versus reality in yeah. the abstract you had democrats yeah. in 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 the inner city that said uh, you know, oh yeah, defund the police officers, yes, but not mine. My police officers are great. Right. And it's much like Congress. No, get rid of Congress, but my congressperson is great. Overall, the satisfaction with police, Heather McDonald, I knew, uh, did a lot of, oh, I, I got a letter from her representative the other day saying, do you want to interview Heather McDonald? Oh, yeah. And I'm like, I was like, I would love to, but I know she would never, we get these all the time from great guests and we just know, they won't come on at this time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they have no idea. I've, I've had that happen before. Every time I call back, they go, oh, we didn't know you were on at 1 in the morning, yeah. Eastern. Yeah, no thanks. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. sorry we can't can't do that. So, But I was I, but I was like, what? it just popped. I forgot to tell you about that because mm-hmm. I was like, wow. Um, she would be great to talk to because she's the one that crunched the numbers. She's the one that by the numbers and by the statistics came out and said, look, the whole – uh, the whole thing that police departments are systemically racist or, uh, you know, or that uh, uh, blacks are more likely, uh, you know, uh, to be killed by police. Then she went through all the specific numbers out there to yeah. show and She's the one that looked at all the interactions and all the yeah. yes, all the. And as we've stated before, when you actually put it into perspective, the fact of the media gets a hold of something and boom, it becomes huge. But when you think that. There's probably between 25 and 30 million traffic stops a year. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the police interactions, there are over, what was it, 200 and, what was it, 200 and maybe, was it 60 or I was 70? Gonna, I was going to say 260, mi- 270. 270 million yeah. 911 calls right. in the United States each and every year. Right. So when you take that along with the traffic stops, and that doesn't include the normal interactions of police every single day, for example, especially in, you know, much more you would have in uh, in urban areas if you have police, you know, walking and, you know, going into businesses and, and checking on what's going on in, in an urban area. I live, in, you know, in a suburban area like I live. They, they you know, they go by, but I still wave. Yeah. And, and, if I'm at, and if I'm at the, uh, the, the driving range, and a police officer is doing radar there. I, yeah, al- right. I always stop by and say hi. <laughs> I remember the time that I did it, and and I walk and I take this road all the time, and I I got caught one time speeding on it, and it was during construction, and I just didn't see the you know they let they let me off because I it was like twelve miles an hour over, and then they said Do you know what the speed limit is? I go isn't it normally forty five? They said thirty five because of the construction temporarily and. So you live there? I go, yeah. So mm. he let me off. But this, I was asking, okay, it's uh, it was now 50 coming over the bridge, and then it goes down to 45. I said, who are you pulling over? He said, if we catch you coming by here where it goes to 45 and you're going 62. Yeah. I'm like, oh, okay, that's, you know, you're giving plenty of leeway there. We start talking for a little bit and everything else. and Yeah. He just, all of a sudden, he just stopped and went. What do you do for a living? I said, I'm on the radio. And he he sits and he you look at his face. I thought he was going to come out 
<laughs> in the old days, I thought he was going to come out with his billy club and hit me because there was this look on his face like shock. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and he opens the door and he says, oh, my God, you're Gary McNamara. And it was mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. And it was just it was the best. It was the, the greatest conversation uh, ever. But um, but you look at all those interactions that they have and there's over roughly, you know, 300 million encounters with police. And every year there's what? Two or three situations that you're not sure if the cop has done something wrong. Right. You put it in perspective as to the number of interactions between police and and people. And it's like, oh, okay, it's not that many. And that's why we were completely, we were disgusted with Black Lives Matter. We were disgusted with the companies and the sports leagues that embrace the lie that police departments are systemically racist. They have a horribly hard job. But I can't, I just, I, I have so much sympathy for so many of the police officers, like I think of Chicago right now, and the police officers that are thinking, my God, we can't we can't continue serving here. It's time for me to retire. I've got to go somewhere else. And you become close to the community, and you know that you're helping your community and keeping it safe. And you're busting your butt, and the people above you are basically saying, to hell with you. You don't matter as police officers, which means they're saying, you, you know, citizens don't matter. And then what happens? Boom. It becomes worse. Yeah. With the, you know, with the, as it will be, with the philosophy of the new mayor coming in. And it's almost a sense of complete hopelessness for these police officers. Well, it, it is. And, and they are time and time again by, uh, liberals and liberal media, uh, they are positioned as the enemy. Yeah. And then who wants to grow up and, and become a police officer? You know, in these major cities, I have a friend who, who told me that one of the things after becoming a detective, it is, especially on the, the files that have not been closed yet, if it's an open case and, and you know, uh, he doesn't work cold cases. But, I mean, you, if if you're working a case, you're, you always have that family in your mind. You're trying to solve something. You want to go back to their doorstep and give them something that even comes close to closure, even if it's not closure for them, you want to give them some answers. And I have to believe that in, in that there is a parallel there with a lot of officers in major cities where they look at it and they see it as, look, we're the last defense that mm-hmm. we get our, you know, the, we, we get the rug pulled out from under us from leadership and, and, and local uh, political leadership time and time again in the media and everything else, but it's always a war with fighting. It's always this battle that we're going to choose to fight because of so many atrocities and, and violent crimes against the people that are right here in our community, our neighbors. And I have to believe that that is a big driver for those officers. Um, I'm, I, I would bet a, a lot of money that if you were to ask them that you would hear that as a common thread in the answers. Well, I, you know, I think you brought up a great thing by bringing up, for example, detectives. And and if you, you know, you look at it for somebody and, you know, he's on the TV now and he didn't want to do it. They asked him to do it. L- Lieutenant Joe Kenda that we've all seen yeah, yeah. and the homicides. And he started out, what, in the Colorado Springs uh, yeah. Police Department as right. a, uh, you know, as a as an officer. Mm-hmm. You know, he was a regular officer and then moved right. up to homicide. And when you see it, and, you know, when you see him 
talk about in over the years all the cases. And he stopped doing the one show because he said he ran out of you know he, we've gone through all the cases, right. all the cases that you know that that he wanted to. There were some cases that were so heinous he didn't want to. Right. He didn't. Yeah. He didn't want, he didn't to, want do. to relive them. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, but you you know he was blunt. You do take it personal, and everyone yeah. that isn't solved, you'll take to your grave. Yeah. As as if. You know, could I always question yourself whether you could do better? I, I I look at that when and I look at that and I say that's the best in police officers. And I think that the majority of police officers go in, you know, with that particular attitude. And once they're in for a while, they do take it. I don't mean they take insults personally. If you insult them, then it justifies they can bop you over the head. Uh, no, what it is they take personally the safety of their community, and when a crime is committed, that's what they do. They're that's their profession, you know. They're and they're professionals at doing it. They're they're that is what they're driven to do is investigate, get, find the criminal, arrest the criminal, and yeah. then hopefully the justice department will do the right thing and put them in jail. Well, that's the other thing too. How is it affecting police departments? Forget about just the defund the police and that, you know, the police are always to blame. The police don't get the benefit of the doubt. The criminal does. How, I wonder how it's affecting police departments with these, with these liberal DAs, you know, like Bragg, what they're doing. That has to kill morale. Absolutely oh, yeah. kill morale when you're yeah. like, wait a minute. Why is the, the law enforcement system that we are in? Basically ignoring what we're doing and putting those same people back on the street again yeah. that actually put not our only community, but put our lives in danger again. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, when uh, and I follow the National Police Association and, and other groups out there and, and really they're the officer, they're the voice for the officers. You know, they have to be. And quite often, I mean, you go to the political leadership and they're just going to be thrown under the bus repeatedly over and over again. I thank God that there are people still willing to serve in those cities. And it, it's just these atrocities and what happened to Bob Lee, what happens yep. in countless situations in blue cities and large cities across America right now shouldn't be happening. And it's happening because people decided that they were going to demonize police officers. 866-90-RED-EYE. We'll be right back with more Red Eye Radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. It's Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Carley and I'm Gary McNamara. Coming up following the top of uh, the uh, hour, more uh, about the crime in the cities uh, 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 today. Just the situation in our cities in uh, in, in general. Mm. Uh, this is all based on the uh, the murder of uh, Bob Lee in San Francisco That and the horrible video uh, of that. Plus, jobless claims and more economic numbers coming out today. Mm. Nothing's looking good, is it, right now? Not really, no.
This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. This is Red Eye Radio. I'm Gary McNamara. He's Eric Harley, 866-90-RED-EYE. Good morning. Good Friday. Good morning. Easter weekend is uh, here. And the Ten Commandments was on last week. I'll have to find it somewhere. Oh, was it on last weekend? Yeah, it was on last weekend. Okay. Yeah, a lot of times it's on this. used to be on the Saturday. Yeah. You know, uh, Easter Eve it used to be on, but no, it was on last. That was a tradition. Yeah, it was on last Saturday. Yeah. Uh, I just happened to, I forgot where I was where I saw it. Somebody had it on somewhere, and I was like, oh, okay, can't watch it this year. So Because with commercials and all. Oh, it's like, it six, take, it's like six hours. Yeah, it would take out the, <laughs> the entire evening would be, and yeah. I loved it growing up. I think they started it at like 6 p.m. Yeah. Central. Yeah. And it yeah. probably went on till after 11. Yeah. With the commercials. Because it's such yeah. a, isn't it amazing? I mean, I just, I love that movie. The acting is so great. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm sorry, I just hit my microphone. Uh, and I don't, you know, I've got a great TV. I have, mm-hmm. I have an oil LED TV. And mm-hmm. uh, just watching the little bit that I saw, I couldn't believe how great the color is. They've probably remastered it all since the time that it was done. But mm. I don't know yeah. what it is about that movie that is so attractive. I mean, it just, it draws you in. The acting is just spectacular. Yeah. In yeah. It. But, yeah. And, uh, you know, even the, I've, I've always been impressed because I'm sure it was on a soundstage, but I've always been impressed with the way the mountain glows in the background. Yeah. The colors are yeah. really, really distinct. I was yeah. always thinking, oh, that's really, really, you know, it's when, uh, when, um, well, that was cutting edge for the, yeah, for the time, you know, and, and still when you think about it, the, you know, that was the, uh, the reversal of what they did, uh, you know, the running the film backwards and all that, but in the, in the, the tank, I mean, the, the mm-hmm. scene of, of parting the Red Sea is just, yeah, for the time. Even now is spectacular yeah. when you see it. Yeah. Just just the cinematography, the way that they do it. The only thing that isn't is the Pillar of Flames. Hmm. The Pillar of yeah. Flames looks animated. Yeah, that comes down as animated. That that doesn't cut it. But, yeah, um, right. Uh, <laughs> I've always said, nah, the Pillar of Flames doesn't cut it. No, mm-hmm. it looks like you put a cartoon in the middle of that one. But besides that, what a spectacular movie. You know, uh, you know, leaving uh, leaving Egypt. That scene. Oh man! And then, yeah. and then, when you go back, and if you've seen, ever seen a documentary on how they did the entire movie, yeah. Oh man! Well, you know, and and I think sometimes I think to myself, man, what would it look like if they remade that movie today? The problem is, Hollywood today takes way too many liberties. I I don't I don't trust Hollywood. To get it right. I mean, if you're going to redo the Ten Commandments, I don't know why you, you know, you would try. Hollywood, there's always that ego thing. Well, we can do a modern version of it and use the 
current technology and CGI to make it even more spectacular. Okay. But if you believed that that could be the case, the question would be, yeah, but are you going to tell the story in the same way? Well, it would have to be more woke. You know, for example, Moses would have to be transgender. Yeah, maybe. You know. Or do the Mel Brooks version. These 15 crash. These 10 commandments. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Uh, It would be Pharaoh Trump. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) Trump would, the name of the... the, uh, Yeah. Pharaoh would have to be Trump, right? right? It's, yeah. You know, yeah. you know who's great in that move. I mean, Edward G. Robinson. Yeah, I was going to say he is so he is so yeah. he's so evil. Yeah. <laughs> in that movie, I yeah. mean, he is just the way he just portrays it. He is just so that had to be evil. And Vincent Price too. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like so slimy and evil. I mean, it was like you just, you're that, disgusted by them. That had to be so much fun to play. I, yes, you're right. You it had to be. jump yeah. into yeah. it and you just feel yeah. like you've got all this, you know, creative room to go out and just make this character come alive. And, and here's the thing is that it's not a character created in Hollywood. So you have to live up to the expectation of generations of believers. Yeah. That's a great point. There are things that you have to deliver on, which is why I wouldn't trust Hollywood to be able to do it today. I mean, I'm sure we could sit and we could pick it apart and go, well, and you could, we could probably have a round table of, um, you know, uh, experts and believers and and people pick apart that movie and then say, okay, well, but, and, and, and I get it, but, but really you fast forward to 2023 and Hollywood takes way too many liberties on, on, on far too many things, but that had to be also the challenge of it. Well, let me ask you this. So a Vincent Price in a, in a horror movie or any of them in any other setting where, okay, I'm going to have this character do this. I'm going to, but you also have the expectation that the role you're playing here has so many years of faith behind it that you have to adhere to that. You have to live up to that. You know, you think about it. What is the, what is the, uh, the the movie that the last movie that was completely and totally widely accepted by Christians would be the Passion of the Christ. Yeah, but nobody wanted to do it. No, no. Mel Brooks went out and did that. You know, really, he he was alone in for a long time. In in now he reaped the profits of it. Mm-hmm. And Jim Caviezel. Jim. Well, you know, the funny you thing know. is, I, I always look at it. And I, Jim Caviezel, uh, that did such a great job there. And then we were just talking about the the Masters earlier in Augusta mm-hmm. National mm-hmm. and the Founders. And Jim Caviezel in the um, the Bobby Jones story, uh, you know, played Bobby Jones. So I've, when I saw that, I went, oh, 
he played Christ and the deity of golf, the ultimate mm-hmm. deity in golf. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I saw, you know, I was there was one movie, the one you ever see the one he's in with Sylvester Stallone where he's this evil guy, yeah. evil warden on the prison ship. Right. Yeah. I was I you know, it's funny because I always I have to ask this question because I know there are a lot of you know uh, uh actors, not a lot, but there are some actors out there that won't do sex scenes because of you know of their faith mm-hmm. and i've always wanted to ask the question you'll play a murderer but you won't do a sex scene <laughs> uh he actually uh Caviso did he, did he actually address that addressed that oh, okay. one time right. he talked about you know stories of redemption he doesn't have to be the the character necessarily that sees that redemption but there has to be some uh redemption in there. lesson okay. and redemption uh, in the storyline, and and he's played a couple of bad guys along the way. No, I I just wonder. I would like to ask him that question. You know, that yeah. would be all. And I'm not saying you're a hypocrite in it because uh, I can see myself. I'd play if I was an actor. I'd do someone who was a murderer, but I'm not going to take my clothes off. I don't want to see myself naked. Yeah. yeah. When I'm alone, mm-hmm. I don't want to see that. So. That's just that wouldn't be in it for me to begin with. I, well, I just I I couldn't do that. But um, some, sometime next year, um, it's uh, the sequel to the Passion of that's Christ. That's what I I know. Now Resurrection. Who's, now who's doing it? It's Mel Gibson and Jim Caviezel. Oh, okay. All right. All right. So mm-hmm. they're putting. So well, they so, asked Mel Gibson. Well, when he announced it, and, and they uh, I thought I saw that in the they news. They asked him, and and Mel Gibson said, "Absolutely, Jim Caviezel's coming back." I it was. I went and saw that movie, The Passion of the Christ, in, in a theater alone, deliberately. So did I. And I went at, at 10 a.m. knowing that, okay, it's it's going to be kind of a, a light showing, not a lot of people. Because I'm, I'm really horrible with distractions, you know. Um, and I knew that I was going to have to give this my full attention. And I, you know, I I sat through that movie and very few cinematic uh, projects, movies, anything that's created in Hollywood drive me in a way that that did at a very fundamental level. Because I, I, I have this simple mind. It's one thing to, to read, which is important. It's, it's one thing to practice in your life, but it's another thing to have this reminder of sacrifice in front of you for two hours. And it was, it was hard to watch, but in the end, very rewarding to watch because that reminder and the purpose that it served, um, it, it was that for me, it was about, that question before me you know what who are you as a as a human and as a believer are you living as christ wants you to live and keep in mind the greatest sacrifice of all which is what today is all about you know i i went um uh, i i went alone but i went before because i was doing my that was 2004 so i was doing my local show at the time so i went to a matinee and it was mobbed, absolutely yeah. mobbed. And I had to get my, I got my ticket beforehand. You know, yeah. And 
and uh, and I went in and I took notes. So I was able to separate myself a little bit because I also wanted to see the reaction of the crowd. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to review. And I actually went in because my whole I announced it on the air and then the show was about going to see it and the reaction of the crowd and everything else. So I sort of did have to step back a little bit. But I will say this about that was like however long that movie was. I don't know how long it was. Um, you know, was it two hours? I don't, don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember. Two hours, exactly. seven minutes. Yeah, yeah. And it was like the, the emotion of it was like watching. It was like two hours of watching the last five minutes of Saving Private Ryan. Mm-hmm. And I mean, two, but it was two hours of it. As you're, you know, I'm, I'm saying the emotion that you felt in the audience because it was when I, I'll always remember that because I, I said that at that, at that point that that was, that was one of my reviews. It was like seeing two hours of the last five minutes of Saving Private Ryan because that's really about sacrifice and everything else when you see it. And so it was the sacrifice part I was trying to make the analogy of and how it impacted the people that were watching it at that point, but it was like in the last five minutes of Saving Private Ryan, dead silent except for some sobs. Mm-hmm. Dead silent. You know, nothing. I mean, and uh, same thing, it was almost two hours of just dead silence of people just looking, and you did hear, you heard people getting emotional at, at points throughout, but wonderful piece of, of cinema. I mean, just absolutely wonderful piece of cinema, and I, I agree with you. It does show, what it does show is it shows sacrifice, but brings how brutal sacrifice can be, how almost unspeakably brutal sacrifice has been. It it brings what the price of sacrifice actually is that you can actually apply to a lot of different things, including war, you name it. Anybody who, you know, sacrifices something for anybody else in a especially in a physical and mental sense over a period of time, it really brought that home to me because you said sacrifice, and that's the same thing. That was the one word they, when I was asked, what, what if you could say in one word what you got out of that movie, I would say the the reality of what sacrifice costs you. Yeah. And, you know, um, I remember leaving that theater, and I almost felt... I was I was kind of numb, but I almost felt that there was, you know, all right, leaving here is, is not just about getting on with my day. It was about taking what I had seen, the visual presentation that mm-hmm. was that powerful, yeah. and and taking that and and making the story. And it it isn't about Mel Gibson. It's not about Jim Caviezel. No, 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 and I no. think I think I don't know, but I think both of them. I get the sense that they both know that uh, Jim Caviezel, a devout Catholic, mm-hmm. and he's talked about his faith before. Great actor, but just a great actor. You, I knew that there was something. I, I felt like I, I felt like I hadn't done my homework. I showed up <laughs> for a test, <laughs> unprepared, fully unprepared, walking out of that theater. But the one thing I didn't feel, even though I went alone, I didn't feel alone leaving that theater. I, no, I, no, it's a great point. I, I, I like felt it, yeah. my faith was with me and was ever yeah. present, 
as it always is, but even stronger after that visual presentation. The the one thing I it, I, I remember because it was just the movie theater was only five minutes from where we were working at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was you know just a five minute drive, no radio, no nothing on the way home. Yeah. Or on the way back to uh, to work, mm-hmm. and I wanted to make it close so I could walk into my show at the 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 point because it was huge at that time. That was, yeah. I mean, it was huge in popular culture. That movie coming out that everybody probably went to see. I've only seen it once. I never saw it again. Mm-hmm. Uh, then again, is that the kind of movie you sit down and say, okay, let's sit down and watch it again in the home? I have it on DVD. Do and you? I, and, and, and I did, and it was the same experience. Was it of, the same? Was it? If, okay. If not greater. I just wondered how it is watching it the second time if you're in a home situation and not the movie theater. I, I, I again, I chose to do it alone, and it was, it was just the yeah. same all over again. 86690-RED-EYE. Hi, I'm Jen Loomis, a transport safety expert at J.J. Keller, and I'm here to share a tip on compliance, safety, accountability. Drivers should be familiar with how their actions affect their motor carrier's compliance, safety, accountability, or CSA score, in the seven basic categories. The driver fitness score is based on the physical and medical qualifications of drivers. The vehicle maintenance category requires drivers to know how to inspect CMVs and secure cargo. Hours of service compliance relies on drivers keeping accurate records of duty and abiding by hours of service limits. The unsafe driving category is affected by unsafe driving behaviors such as failing to wear a seatbelt or obey traffic laws. Drivers should understand the drug and alcohol prohibitions to prevent hurting their carrier's controlled substances and alcohol basic score. And drivers who transport hazmat must know how to safely transport hazardous materials according to the regulations. The final basic category, crash prevention, is based on how many crashes a motor carrier has been involved in, so drivers must know how to drive safely to avoid crashes. This tip was brought to you by J.J. Keller & Associates. Visit us at jjkeller.com. Lines open for your calls. 866-90-RED-EYE on Red Eye Radio. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carlin. I'm Gary McNamara. You know, just talking about religious movies in uh, in general because we started talking about the Ten Commandments. That was 1956. And I think of the wow. re- the religious movies that had the most impact that I think were just wonderful, incredible films uh, that uh, that came from Hollywood. Uh, of course, Ten Commandments. Then after that, for me, I remember because I watched these all as kids in the 60s, Barabbas in 1961 with uh, mm. Anthony Quinn. Mm. Then because of my mother, my mother was such a huge fan of this movie that I actually watched it with her, A Man for All Seasons, uh, the you know the story of Sir Thomas More who you know during the Henry the Eighth time that uh, would not you know would would not state that you know uh, the Church of England was over the Catholic Church and of course he was beheaded because of it and that was with uh, Robert Shaw and uh, Orson Welles and mm. Paul Schofield and that and that those had huge impacts on me when when I was a child mm. uh, and all of that was about you know sacrifice yeah. And sure. then really, I, I think about in my life, it was really then coming up to uh, a passion of uh, passion of the Christ in 2004. Yeah. yeah. A friend of mine says, yeah, I know the story. He dies at the end. I said, no, he lives.
The Bonus Show. And he is Eric Harley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 866-90-RED-EYE. Download our Red Eye Radio app today, and you can listen when and where you choose if you find that you can't listen live overnight, like right now, in the and present. Thank you. Yes, thank you so much. You know, we were talking about the uh, the uh, the actress that uh, uh, came out, Sarah Foster, daughter of legendary musician David Foster, mm. yesterday, and said, I'm a Democrat, but disavowed liberal politicians uh, after you know the video of the the death of uh, tech entrepreneur Bob Lee came out, he was the forty uh, three year old founder of Cash App who was fatally stabbed around two thirty a.m. on Tuesday uh, in uh, in San Francisco, and it's just got huge news because the the video of him stumbling is you yeah. know that that's out yeah. there is just is uh, horrific. But you know we've talked about whether it's San Francisco, what's going on there, Los Angeles, New York. We saw. Chicago now electing a mayor that will continue uh, to destroy the city of Chicago. Yeah. And you just, you sit and wonder, you say, where is this all going to, you know, where is this going to end? There seems no light at the end of the tunnel. And it seems like the people that live in those cities, a significant portion of them and the influence that the teachers unions and uh, the government, a lot of these government workers have in these particular cities is too strong for the people that vote differently, that say, no, we want to improve the city. I don't know. I, I honestly, I look at this. I don't understand it. I don't know why people continue to vote against their best self-interest when it's obvious now. It's not like the Democrats are hiding what they stand, you know, where they stand. They're open and been public about it. You and I have addressed this. We don't live in the bubble of today. This didn't happen today. You and I first noticed the change in Democrats in the 2006 midterm elections. Remember that? Yeah. When we said, whoa, remember they, they, they got, did they get both the House and Senate at that point? And they, they seemed to be emboldened at that, at that mm-hmm. time mm-hmm. to tell America what they really wanted to do. And as we have seen their policies enacted and the destruction that they cause, uh, they're doubling down on everything. Hmm. They're not backing off on it. The only thing that they may be doing it a little bit on in some of the cities is to fund the police, but they're still getting major pushback on that. And in Chicago, we've seen that completely reversed. And in New York, you elected a mayor who's a cop, but does he really, can he really fight against the machine in New York State to get anything done? No. You see the cheering for somebody who is absolutely as irresponsible of a district attorney as I've ever seen in Alvin Bragg, and he is cheered. And you say, what is going to happen to these? What's going to happen to these cities? What are you going to do when you have? And and I'll add to that, just as another example, activist judges. And we go to Washington State. Uh, and we mentioned this a couple of times this week, but I think it's worth mentioning today because there's a number of things that are helping to destroy, I believe, society and it's not beneficial to, uh, you know, the, the citizens of the United States. But when you see in Washington State where the state Supreme Court came out and the legislature, they don't, they don't have an income tax is, you know, unconstitutional. And so mm-hmm. the legislature passes a capital gains tax, which is an income tax. Yeah. Every definition of a capital gains tax is an income tax. Yeah. 
And so you're like, okay, this thing's going to get defeated. And the legislature or the, the, the courts come out and say, well, um, uh, well, uh, capital gains tax isn't an income tax, even though it's income. That's what it is. Right. We're not taxing income. It's an excise tax. Yeah. What do you mean? It's an excise tax on, on those, uh, those earnings, uh, more like a, uh, a sales tax on it, an excise tax. Yeah. And as the one, ju- one of the judges that, um, uh, said, well, no, this is wrong and voted against it, said, if capital gains can be an, uh, a, an excise tax where everything in law across the country, every state, even Washington state until that time, the federal government, it is income. If you can do that, then you can simply call an income tax a sales tax on labor. Why not? That you can change the definition to whatever you want. But you look at these things that are happening here where, and and we always love it because it's Democrats that call Republicans fascist, but it's Democrats that promote activist judges not going through the legislature, which is a representative of the people and that's why they want the executive branch as we know in the united states Mm -hmm. because they know they can keep putting judges in and it's a misnomer for example to say that there's conservative judges versus democrat judges that's made up yeah yeah you know you look at uh uh you you look at scalia for example remember when flag burning came up remember when flag burning and it was like the left was saying yeah you should be able to burn uh, a flag and the right was saying no. Mm-hmm. He voted against the right. Mm-hmm. He made a simple. He made a simple point. I don't like flag burning, but you know I don't like flag burning. But uh, is it your property? Yeah. Well, do people burn flags? Yeah, people burn flags out of respect to destroy them. All right. So if you burn a flag and you're protesting, what are you punishing? The burning, the actual action, or, or the, the thought, thought, or the thought behind it? Right. And and so he went against because he was a constructionist judge, and said, "Look, this is we're we're going to do. You know, I'm I'm going to follow what the Constitution is, and I'm going to look at what it actually is about. I don't get to make law, and that's one of the biggest lies. There's a ton of lies they tell, but one of the biggest lies is it's conservative judges versus liberal. It's not. It's liberals versus originalist and constructionist, and that's a whole different ball game. Yeah, because one right. side is saying." I'm going to make law, and the other side is saying, I can't make law. Right. It's up to the legislative branch to do that, and we pointed that out, and I pointed that out to every single pro-abortion person that I have talked to, mm-hmm. and I've won every single argument when they say, well, the, uh, you know, the, the Supreme Court shouldn't be judging. Well, that's what they said. What do you mean? They said that the last Supreme Court did the wrong thing because when you can you define when life begins uh, well neither can they you can't define it they can't define it and and i said and that's that's the legality of it right there and i asked every single one of them i said do you believe because they said well you're taking away a woman's right and i said fine then you believe three different women all pro abortion to a point. And I said, well, so you believe up to birth? Well, no, no, there needs to be limits on it. Well, then it, you're not talking it's about women's rights Then someone anymore. else 
decides and it's not yeah. her choice. Right. It's not your choice then. You're admitting it. You just said it's your choice, but it's not your cho- Every single – and they all looked at me like we never thought of that, mm-hmm. which shows you if you're not taking your thought process to the ultimate conclusion, you got a big problem. It shows you how people think. I'm only taking it to one point. I'm going to defend that point. But don't you see the hole in your argument over here? No. And and so that's you know and and but when you look at you know so they 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 lie about that but all these things here when you think about it all add to the destruction of society and take away from a democracy but the fact is the crime that we see the the fentanyl that's coming in uh, to this uh, country the lack of wanting to have a secure border wanting to destroy our energy grid by pretending and living in a delusional world that we can live on solar and wind the fact that they believe that they can tax the insanity of critical race theory the continued insanity there's more stories we have on the liberal transgender activist movement that defy science all of these things destroying society and quicker in the cities than anywhere else i I'm, I, this isn't trying, I'm not trying to throw out over-the-top rhetoric. I don't know how the cities come back from this because there is no there is no break except temporary on some to fund the police, but they can't go too far on it. Mm-hmm. There's more been more words than actions on reversing the defunding of the uh, 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 police. And you just look and you say, how do these cities ever come back? If they haven't learned, if the city of Chicago, I don't care how much money goes into the other side. If the other side is saying we don't need police, and you've seen what's going on in Chicago, how can you support that side? Yeah. When right. you see the crime rate and the murders in the city of Chicago, if people are going to vote against their own self interest, and we've always believed there has to be a time when their self-interest is paramount and they say enough is enough and it's not happening. It's not. It isn't. And, you know, it's almost like the road rage effect. Uh, Who was it? Was it a a stand-up comedian, I think, that made the observation? You know, you don't behave that way if you're standing in line at a grocery store. But if you're driving past the person, well, I'm never going to see him again. You know, throw them that magic finger, mm-hmm. right? Scream at them, honk at them, whatever. Well, that rage of defund the police now. And then the immediate question, okay, we're going to start in your neighborhood, right? Well, no. no. No, 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 no. But it didn't stop. And over and over again, people in blue cities voted for that mentality and the people that were against having a lawful society. It is mind-boggling growing up in an era where law and order was just a part of every single campaign. I don't care who you were. I don't care which party you were in. We stand for law and order. We're going to make sure that the cities are safe. We're going to make sure, and that was part of it. And now it has turned 180 degrees for the left to the point that they will tell you, well, if you hear code words like law and order in a campaign, 
That's that right. person is bigoted. That's a racist comment, right? Yeah. If you hear the words uh, patriotic or the word America somewhere in the slogan and in, in, in what they're doing in their campaign, that's code word and it's bigoted. Well, the fact of the matter is this, is that it is the role of the federal government to keep the American people safe. But it is also the role of local leadership to enforce the law and give law enforcement that support. And you do that, and law enforcement has that responsibility also, each of them, of being not just someone who will protect and serve their community, but also will be a good steward in, in a way that there is that communication so that they can know and have the uh, every single tool in their toolbox in order to enforce that law and keep those communities safe. That's how it works, but not in today's world and certainly not in today's liberal blue cities. And when I say things like, and, and I'm with you, because it sounds like, and coming from the guy that keeps saying we're doomed, it, it sounds <laughs> really a, the the ultimate doomsday thing when you say that these cities look like all is lost. But I can't look at the Bob Lee situation and say to myself, oh, it's isolated. Because it is anything no, it's not. but isolated. And it's happening to people that don't have uh, a reputation and aren't aren't famous like Bob Lee was. It's happening to people every single day, and they don't care. They absolutely do not care. Bragg has a mission, and his mission is to bring Trump down 34 counts of nothing while his city right now is suffering. He doesn't care. He doesn't care? No. But, uh, again, if he ran, would he get elected again? I really wonder. I mean, when you look at Chicago, you just throw up your hands and you just say, I don't, because I got some email. Well, you, you don't understand the money. I don't care. if the It's it's the message. You can have all the money in the world, but yep. if the message is bad, exactly. people don't accept it. Exactly. And, and everybody knows what, you know, Johnson, what his statements are. Yep. And what he wants to do with, with defund the police. He's yep. sympathetic towards the criminal. Yep. I mean, it's mind-boggling. It and, is. And I actually have to ask the question, I, I have great doubts that the cities can survive. I, uh, I'm i with I you. I mean, they'll that. survive. I mean, they'll be there in some well, form. I don't know what but they nobody, look like. What, what will they look like? I don't know what, what they All look right. like. 866-90-RED-EYE. Get in touch with Red Eye Radio, toll-free at 866-90-RED-EYE. It's Friday Radio. He's Eric Carling, and I'm Gary McNamara. Coming up on the top of the hour, a liberal transgender activist movement breaking news update. The swimmer Riley Gaines, uh, according to Fox News, was ambushed and physically hit after a saving women's sports speech at San Francisco State. She was barricaded in a room on a third floor of the university building for nearly three hours and said that she was assaulted by a man. We'll get to that coming up.
This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market. Rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.